And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, as we roll along. This was supposed to be our final segment. It'll be our penultimate segment. We got one more after this and then the happy hour. If you got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. You can email us, hoopsville at d3sports.com. We're also simulcasting on Facebook and YouTube. You're welcome to join us. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry about uh, there was some weird uh, echo everyone was hearing. I think that was coming from my microphone. I readjusted it, and I think we're okay. I think I was getting too close, and the mic was like, we've had enough with you. I think that's it. I'm trying to remember if there's anything else, but if you got questions, you can fire them away, and happy hour will be coming up in a bit. Uh, we were supposed to, as I said, talk to John Carroll to finish things off, but instead we will uh, be chatting uh, penultimately with him with Keene State coming up final. But if you've got uh, questions for either of them or for our happy hour crew, get a hold of us. Um, listen, preseason, the question was raised, just how good is John Carroll going to be considering all the transfers they had coming in. And I said this bluntly on the QCast. I said it bluntly on the show at the start. I was a wait-and-see attitude because I have seen programs bring in transfers and it goes nowhere. I have seen I've seen D1 transfers come in and they've gone nowhere. Now, hats off to Johns Hopkins women's soccer because they used eight transfers from Division One and rolled their way to a Division Three national title. That is a hard thing to do. So a team that was, I think, below 500, I wanted to wait on John Carroll. And maybe I waited longer than others. But they have been impressive, and the win against Mount Union at home was tremendous. Kind of brought you back to what you remember Carol being in the past. And joining us on the Huddle Hoopsville Hotline to discuss it all is Pete Moran with a great picture behind him of the gym that they won it in, in Mount, against Mount Union. And, Coach, thanks for taking the time. Congratulations, because, again, for me, it was a wait-and-see thing. You guys certainly started proving it to me over the last few weeks. But, man, that went over Mount Union said a lot, didn't it? Yeah, Dave. I, you know, I think it did. Number one, thanks for having me. Uh, last time I was on here, I don't think I had this many grays gray here. <laughs> Either did I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what uh, a couple of kids would do and a couple of seasons coaching basketball. But, um, you know, I tell you, you know, Dave, you know, you obviously hit on that. You know, there's a lot of question marks going this season with all of our transfers. And I've said this repeatedly, and uh, not one of these individuals are transfer portal individuals. These are all individuals right. that are within a 20-mile radius. Uh, all of them have uh, uh, connections to university, connections to our staff. Hats off to my coaching staff, you know, for, for formulating relationships. Uh, obviously, the landscape of recruiting has drastically changed over the last few years. Um, you know, we've always prided ourselves on, on relationships and you know, the ability to form relationships. And that's something that, that my staff has done a fabulous job. And obviously we had an influx of individuals come in. So um, like you, I was, uh, uh, you know, questioning what was going to happen. How was this going to shape up? And, uh, you know, our success to this point has been because we brought in the right type of individuals. Uh, like you, I've been uh, uh, D3. I was raised in Division three household, Dave, right? My father was a coach for 25 years. All I ever known and all I ever watch is Division Three basketball, and I've seen transfers come in that that uh, you know don't have the success. So we knew early on, you know, there's two key components to our success long term, and that was family and uh, sacrifice. Uh, you know, we were blessed, uh, obviously, to get some talent in, but we were very excited about our returning players coming in as well. You know, last year we struggled, obviously, COVID. Uh, a couple of key starters uh, hurt early on. We started the year five and one, and uh, we had 19 cases of COVID between December and January and two of our stars uh, season and the injury. So it, it, we didn't have the makeup to, you know, we were kind of put behind the eight ball early on. But um, just to go back to my point, we, we had just quality kids. And believe it or not, 
look across the landscape of Division Three, look in the OEC, every school has multiple transfers, right? You know, we just had some that came along that had some uh, low notoriety to them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and my point about the transfers wasn't that they came from D1 or they came to the portal. Mm-hmm. It's just I know how hard it is to get a team to gel. And I think yeah. in your case, and a reminder, you were 8-16 and 16 last season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when in my view of it is you also have a unique style of basketball you took what your father did you've you've made it your own this isn't necessarily the system where it's five in five out every 90 seconds and you're shooting willy-nilly it's more of an aggressive style you are subbing five in and five out for longer stretches of time though you've got a different mentality to it Uh, again no comparison and i just Mm. thought to myself okay they're transferring in but man that is a system a you have to be unselfish you have to understand you're going to get subbed out of the game for somebody else you are not going to just be in there B, it's it's knowing the intricacies of that defensively, especially and offensively, and all those other things. I wanted to see how everyone would come together on it. Is it something that people can pick up, or do you do you do get sometimes a recruit or somebody comes in and you go, wow, they they aren't getting what we what we do here? Well, like I mentioned, we, you know, a key phrase we use is sacrifice. And, yeah, and having endless amount of meetings with individuals on our team. Uh, you know, leading up to the season and then throughout the season. Uh, sacrifice means playing time. Sacrifice means, you know, uh, you know, opportunities, shot opportunities. And, you know, our guys, again, they're quality individuals. Uh, for lack of better words, they've been humbled at, at previous institutions, but also talking to the guys that are returning and letting them know, hey, things are going to look different. Do you want to be a part of something special? And I, I think it shows the quality of individuals that we have within our program that they're willing to sacrifice. You know, our depth, we're, we're very excited about the depth that we have, uh, but we're more excited about the quality of individuals that we have. And to see them gel together, uh, granted, most of them played together. They played junior high basketball, AU, growing up. So there's a familiarity with them, but there's only one ball, right? So uh, we knew that was going to take some time to, to figure out and to gel. However, again, when you have quality individuals that are willing to sacrifice for the betterment of the program, that helps speed up the process. And that's where we've been very successful. I think our staff has done a fabulous job of, you know, implementing that every day is, is really the sacrifice component, but also the family component, gelling together as one. And uh, that, that's what's been so special about this group is just that their willingness to sacrifice and, and play for each other. Wins over Wittenberg and Ohio Wesleyan to get things started. A win over River Falls at Wheaton and then a win over Wheaton. Wheaton was, I think, the game a lot of people used as kind of a benchmark of the season. How would you do? Obviously, also looking at how Wheaton would do. There's been a lot of that this season, trying to understand everybody. Uh, After that, Fredonia and Muskegon as you got into conference play. Then Mount Union tripped you up, but it was a good game. 75-72 at their place. Beat Carroll, beat Marietta then lost to Superior, then got past Skidmore. And I think right at that point, I know I took pause. I'm like, okay, is this just kind of the swoon is over and now we're into the grind and, and it's going to get challenging. But you came out of the Christmas break uh, absolutely clicking on all cylinders and including, as we mentioned, that win over Mount Union 74-72 at your place. You just got past Heidelberg a second time, 91-82. You've got Marietta ahead of you. Of course, the rest of the conference schedule as well. What is it? that you guys are doing well now and what are you still trying to improve on? You know, I, I think what's so unique about this team is that our ability to win in different ways. You know, our, our successful team that we had five or six years ago, sweet 16 team, we we're kind of built differently. You know what it was, I think we averaged 99 points a game and we knew if a team could defend us, we were going to be in, uh, 
and for a dogfight. I think what this program or not program, what this team has shown us, and again, I'm learning on the fly with these guys a little bit, uh, you know, the, picking up tendencies that they do, the situations in which, you know, they, they excel at end of game type situations. A lot of it has just been feel, uh, you know, our staff, you know, obviously we spent a lot of time preparation, watching film, meeting, having discussions, but our ability to win in different ways. It could be a 90 point game. We're able to able to win a basketball game. It could be in the sixties and we could win something we're doing really well as of late. We're making free throws down the stretch, you know, in the game, special situations. I know my father's listening and uh, he's a big component <laughs> of special situations. He, he lets us hear about, and that's something we work on regularly in the game situations throughout the course of the year, you're going to have five, six, seven games that come down to the last minute or two. So we've been able to execute uh, down the stretch guys have been able to make some free throws. Um, but, you know, right now we're going game by game. I know that's the old cliche. We can't look beyond Marietta this weekend. And, uh, you know, if we keep that mindset and continue to play good basketball, uh, I think we'll be in good shape. I, I tell you, you know, a lot of guys defend. I think defensively, you know, we're one of the top teams in the conference, Grant, our length, our ability to guard the basketball has been something like I've never seen before, you know, uh, in our program. And like I said, I've been around this program probably 30 years, you know, 31 years since my dad took it. So good. Uh, took it over in 1992. Um, looking at the team, um, sorry, I somehow jumped into the wrong stats there. Um, using the old school system here. Uh, yeah. Leading the way by Luke Frazier, 17 plus points a game, 14 and a half from Luke. Uh, I never say this right. Chacon? So Luke Chacon's my nephew. Oh, I didn't know that. So he is, uh, he's my nephew. Um, so you have to play them. <laughs> I tell you, those two individuals, Dave. I, I've been, you know, part of this Division Three world for a while. Oh yeah, they're they're, they're as good as you get in the country. Um, and a, a lot of our success isn't because of coaching, right? I've never seen a uh, a uh, jockey carry a horse uh, across the field. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, so you know, they're 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 extremely talented. Uh, you know, players, very unselfish players. And uh, yeah, Luke Chacon's my nephew. He's my sister's son. He was at Youngstown State last year, and, uh, you know, uh, I actually, of all the kids that came in, I probably worked the hardest to get him, despite, uh, you know, us being such a close-knit family. <laughs> uh, I can understand that. They're leading the way, those two, though. Uh, and just under double digits is uh, Chase Toppin uh, at 9.8 points a game, and also just under two point, uh, t- double digits is Will Yannick. Yantek at 9.7 points a game. Uh, your leading rebounder, uh, bear with me here. Um, love your SID, but we got to get to the movable ones. Rainer at 4.9 and Yantek at 4.9, I believe. 4.8 for Eller. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you guys spread the wealth in terms of rebounding. Not surprising. Again, you're a dynamic team that subs five in, subs five out. There's guys, they're, they're not going to get out there for large chunks of time. Actually, it's surprising to see Chacon's up there at averaging 31 points a game. Uh, it's a little bit of a, an oddity. And again, being your nephew, I have a feeling you have no, no choice in the matter. You must play the man uh, as often as you can. But you get you're getting contributions from a lot of different people, and I know when your dad was coaching, what made John Carroll so dangerous in their really great years was you couldn't key on one, you couldn't even key on two, because a they're all going to sub out at some point, and another group's going to come in, and now who you got, and they're going to play just as well as that other group. Is that is that still the key here? Is that what's making this team so dangerous this year? I know what I'm seeing, but it doesn't mean I know and understand it from your perspective. 
you know, we've actually, to be honest, we, we tapered back a lot, uh, you know, from the five and five out. You know, we yeah, I did of, notice that. Yeah. Yeah. We started that early on. Again, it was trying to understand what we had. And obviously in Division Three, you don't have all summer to work with guys. Uh, so, no. you know, that, that, that four weeks that we had, again, it was constantly evaluating, constantly meeting. And, and we tapered back a little bit from that. You know, we're confident to play 10, 11 guys, but, uh, Guys like Luke Chacon, you know, and, and Luke Frazier, it's hard to take them off the floor. Uh, you'll be honest with you. But uh, beyond them, I mean, there, there's guys like Jerry Higgins, Chase Toppin. Uh, those guys that have really elevated their game on the defensive side. Two of the best uh, defenders that I've seen, Chase Toppin and uh, Jerry Higgins. You know, then, then you, you factor in some of the height that we have. Uh, we have 6'8", 6'8", 6'7", 6'6". You know, we, we have – the problem that I ran into early on is – is trying to, you know, you only get 40 minutes a game. Is trying to get more minutes for guys. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, they all warrant it. So we've kind of been the, the last uh, several weeks have a much better pulse on what guys do well. But uh, a lot of it end-of-game situations. You know, we played Capitol the other day on the road uh, after a day's rest after our Mountain Union game. And, uh, uh, you know, Luke Frazier didn't play the last four minutes. Uh, it wasn't anything that he did wrong. It's just that, you know, Chase Toppin, Jerry Higgins, and, and Luke Chacon had something going. Um, and, and the same with, with our bigs. Uh, you know, we, we don't rely on the same guys to, to carry us to the finish line. It, it's a group effort. It's guys that are playing well. Maybe a guy's banged up. Maybe a guy has the sniffles. Uh, maybe the guy didn't get enough rest from studying the night before. So uh, we've been fortunate enough to go into uh, deep in, deep, 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 dig deep in our, the archives and, and grab different guys to step up in different moments for us. I uh, got Marriott up next. A heck of a uh, championship game last year in the OAC. The OAC has been tough, period. Marietta got all the way to the championship weekend last year. Obviously not the same team this year, but still dangerous. You got Mount Union. You've got yourselves. Uh, and that's not to take anything away from absolutely everybody else in this conference. Heidelberg has broken out and had and been a very competitive team. Otterbein is lurking at 13-7 and seven overall, 7-6 and six in conference play. There really isn't anybody who's bad except for maybe two teams who just aren't having the same success as everybody else. You, again, have Marietta ahead of you. They'd love nothing but to knock off John Carroll in, in a game. But you've also got you know others, including rivals, ahead of you. How do you get the guys focused on every individual game, understanding what the larger picture means on those individual games? Well, I think when it comes down to the OAC, you, know, you look at the, the, the teams that are near the bottom – and, and you look how they performed. They, you know, Muskingum, they, they were able to get a, a, a nice win. Um, you know, Wilmington, they, they were able to get Marietta earlier in the season. Yep. Muskingum, you know, played Marietta pretty tight. The thing about the OAC is there's no guaranteed wins. And, and you can't say that about every conference in America where some teams are, are, are handed eight victories a season uh, just based <laughs> off of, uh, you know, the, the, the bottom tier of their conference. And, you know, the difficulty about the OEC is really anyone can beat anyone. A lot of conferences say it, but, you know, we got 10 very solid teams, teams that are extremely well coached. Uh, you know, John Vanderwall, you know, I, you know, uh, I speak very highly of him and what he's been able to do down Marietta. Mike Fluline, Damon Goodwin, the guys across the campus, these guys are, you know, they're dedicated. They've worked their tails off. And uh, we know Marietta coming in uh, is, is no easy task. Uh you know, and John's going to have those guys prepared and ready to play. But to answer your question, 
it's it's easier said than done, but just focus on the moment, you know, especially with this group. We challenged them because they came in and obviously a lot of the guys not knowing Division three and how competitive it is, you know, I'm sure they had high, super high expectations for themselves. So, you know, our staff did a great job of leveling that out a little bit and, and focusing on the moment, you know, uh, you know, focusing on the next game and not looking beyond, you know, I challenge our guys to put their phones away after games and hey, let's focus on the next opponent. It's a common phrase I use. I used it today. Uh, you know, let's turn the page and, and focus on Marietta. And our guys have been able to do that, which has uh, really helped us because obviously the game of basketball, college basketball is uh, one of the longest sports, you know, when it comes to collegiate athletics, yeah. almost five, six months. So uh, keeping the guys engaged and uh, keeping them focused has been special. Well, Pete, I appreciate the time you gave us and, and uh, the insight you gave us on, on your squad. Um, certainly fascinated to see how it all plays out and looking forward to seeing how the OAC finishes, how you all position yourself for possible March runs yourselves and, and see where this all finishes. Um, but I know you're enjoying it nonetheless, uh, even if you have gotten a few extra gray hairs, uh, which I can fully appreciate. As always, you give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in? No, Dave, I, you know, I appreciate everything you do for for Division Three athletics. Um, you know, I think Division Three athletics, especially Division Three basketball, is the purest form of basketball there is at any level. Uh, you know, we're not necessarily running into NIL deals just yet. These aren't paid athletes. Uh, you know, they're, they're they're individuals that play the sport because they love it, and and yeah. you can't find that at the high school, the junior high, uh, you know, the higher levels either. So, uh, you know, just note that that what you do. Is for a good cause, and, and there's a tremendous amount of people in the Division Three basketball world that uh, really appreciate you. Well, thanks, Pete. I appreciate those kind words. Um, uh, of course, John Carroll will always be on the show. I'll remember uh, Wensler and, and your great SID there, who has always been supportive of the show until his passing. Um, so my tip of the hat to you guys. Uh, congratulations. Look forward to having you guys on the show soon uh, to talk more about everything. But good luck the rest of the way, too. Enjoy it. Thanks, Dave. Have a good evening. Get some rest, man. I'll try. That's maybe for a week or two from, no, maybe a month or so. No, two months, two months, uh, two months. I'll get some rest in two months. Yeah. Pete, take care. Thanks, bro. Pete Moran joining us on the Huddle Hoopsville Hotline. Going to take a quick break. Um, I got one more segment to do just because we had to push it due to a conflict. Ryan Kane will join us from Keene State. Then we'll get to the happy hour. I know the guys are already showing us their drinks. Uh, we've gotten a drink snuck in here, too. It's hiding on the sideline. We're ready to go to the happy hour. But first, we're going to go to uh, Keene State and talk with Ryan Kane. But first, a break. You're listening to Hoops, presented by D3Hoops.com. Back with more after this. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. 
To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us to be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us, to, to stop, stop sexual, sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. There are over 480,000 college athletes. Only 2% would go pro. That means over 470,000 will not get a shoe contract. No autographs. No private jets. No fan clubs. No Hall of Fame inductions. Instead, they will walk away with something much more valuable. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Another nice donation to the cause. We'll update our total here in a moment, but if you want to donate to our cause, we have a tweet on the main show page through Venmo and GiveButter. Um, and we'll update that here in a bit. Um, maybe it'll be a little bit easier, but if you want to, we appreciate the support of the program. I'm trying to keep our show moving forward for the next foreseeable future after 20 years on the air. Don't forget, coming up, especially those who are on the marathon, we'll be getting to those guys here shortly, but we're running a little bit behind due to a snafu on my part on scheduling. So we'll get to the next segment as quick as we can to keep it moving along. Uh, another team that has certainly impressed this season is Keene State. Um, their one loss was to Middlebury in one of the best games of the season, a game that I'm still going back and watching parts of, uh, thanks to on-demand video, to those of you who don't have it. The pox on you. Joining us on the Blue Frame, or the, sorry, the Huddle Hoopsville Hotline is Ryan Kane, the head coach of the Keene State Owls, who are having, uh, listen, you, you, we're getting used to you having good seasons, sir. I think this is on another level. You're having a great season this year. Would you not, would you say? Success so far. Been a great year with a good group of guys. A lot of fun so far. Yeah, no, absolutely. Sorry for the moment there, guys. We hadn't switched over the audio, but I think you got the gist of what Coach was saying. Um, let's just talk about the middle game, Middlebury game for a second. Uh, first off, take, took place on Martin Luther King uh, Day. Uh, so the, the, the graphics for your pretty outstanding web stream were all about that. Um, but he also, and, and I don't say this lightly, you, you were taking on a coach, co- a, a program coached by Jeff Brown. So the day was certainly significant. A nice non-conference game in there as well. And it ended up being one of the better in-season games we've seen in quite some time. And since then, we've had some great games as well this season. What, it was at home. That certainly, I'm sure, fed into it a little bit. But tell me just the, just the, the, the atmosphere, what it was like to be in that game despite taking the loss at home. Yeah, this series, I think it's unfortunate to be the home team. The The road team has won the last five matchups for whatever reason. Kind of ironic that way. Uh, but just an awesome Division Three men's basketball game. You know, obviously Middlebury's as good as anybody. 
Um, you know, we had a good run going there. Um, you know, two high-end big guys playing in that game with two All-American centers and Alex Sobel and Jeff Hunter. Um, and the matchup lived up to the hype. You know, those guys came out. They were fired up. You know, it was probably as bad as we've started a game all season long. Um, and credit to them. You know, they were ready to go. They really executed early in the game. They probably scored 20 points in about the first five minutes of the game. And along with that, our All-American center, Jeff Hunter, picked up two fouls. So we were off to a little bit of a rough start, but bounced back pretty nice. Uh, more than had our chances. You know, uh, our other potential All-American, Octavio Brito, ended up fouling out with about three or four minutes left. And just a really physical game. You know, I know Jeff has talked about the value that um, you know, David Brennan brings to their team. And that was a tough matchup for Octavio on the glass. And he picked up a couple cheap ones in that matchup. Uh, you know, a couple fouls that were take fouls that he maybe should have passed on. So he fouled out. We're up four with under two minutes left. And those guys just made a ton of plays late. Big offensive rebound and a free throw, drilling a three. You know, we had plenty of chances, but Alex Sobel seemed to block every one of them at the end. Uh, but awesome environment. Learned a lot. You know, uh, you know, obviously a loss is a loss, but it was a great opportunity for our program to look back on an awesome game uh, and learn a lot about ourselves, but also uh, put us in a good position in that type of game moving forward. Well, and more importantly, that was it. You didn't come out two days later at home against Castleton kind of licking your wounds and, and pissed off at, at the world for not being able to pull it off. You come out and get a win 102-49, and you kept it on after that. You've got to be pleased with how they responded to that. Yeah, but you talk about adversity in a season and, you know, what championship teams do when they do face adversity. Um, you know, I, I think the expectation is, you know, although you want to win every game and that's a goal that you have, it's not very likely. Obviously, only one team left so far. Uh, so it's not about, you know, whether you lose or whether you have adversity. It's how you respond to it. And our guys have done a great job. And, you know, it's about playing your best basketball at the end of the year and getting better every day. So, you know, it's great to have some success in the regular season, but it's about, you know, chipping away every day and playing your best as the season winds down and starting to get into postseason play. Uh, we have a good group of guys that I think, you know, uh, think about things the right way, have the right goals in mind, and align their process with their goals and not get too caught up, whether it's too high or too low with a result. Uh, again, playing well, you're doing well in the Little East Conference. Things are, are, are clicking along. But I'm sure you, everyone would say you probably want to, every coach would say this, you're still looking to improve. What, what are you guys still trying to do better? Yeah, you know, we, we've we've had games where we've primarily been dominated by, you know, kind of our two potential American players in Octavio Brito and Jeff Hunter. And then we've had some other days where we've had good balance. Um, so kind of finding our niche offensively where, you know, where those role players fit in and how we can consistently get production across the board while still obviously having those two guys play a prominent role in our offense. Uh, you know, obviously consistent three, consistency throughout games kind of on both ends of the floor. You know, as I mentioned, we, we've given up 20 in, a, in about a four or five minute segment against Middlebury. You know, so you can't be doing that as you start getting late into the year into into playoffs. Um, but it's more so just about, you know, little habits, right? Like it's about the little things. There's no thing that we're going to try to overhaul. Uh, just consistently making sure that we're trying to do the right things. Play after play, you know, responding to that adversity. You know, we talked about the loss, but obviously each game has its own adversity and how we handle that adversity in that moment, I think we'll define a lot about who we are as we get into the postseason. Talking with Ryan Gain here, head coach of the Keene State um, Owls. And no, that's not confusing to try and say in a tongue twist at all. Um, and uh, and at this time, folks, don't ask them about WPI. We've done that before. We're not going to go back to it. Uh, I say that totally just to have some fun with you. Um, what was it? You had a game against Marietta, obviously, this season. You played Maryville this season. Um, you obviously had non-conference games against Springfield and MIT. I would say some of them maybe not the seasons you were expecting. 
Um, even I would argue some of the seasons we weren't expecting. But we all know that it's all about the LEC anyway. So the, the, the focus is there. What's that balancing act like when it comes to scheduling? That I know you're out there trying to better yourself. Middlebury obviously is an example of that. But how do you also make sure you don't overwhelm the guys that you're still ready for LEC play? Yeah, it's so hard to find that balance. Scheduling is definitely an art, not a science. You know, we've had years where, you know, we've definitely overscheduled and you try to do the reciprocal thing and you lose a guy. And now the next year, uh, you know, you may not be as strong and you kind of learn to lose rather than learn to win with a, with a newer group. So there's definitely no one model to schedule. Uh, we generally try to play as tough of a non-conference schedule as we could possibly play. Play to the Great Lakes Invitational, one of the best Division Three tournaments in the country. You know, obviously Ryan does a great job with that event. So we were lucky to play Marietta and Maryville as part of that. You know, Middlebury has been a game that we've played year in, year out. You mentioned some of those other teams that we typically play from strong leagues that historically are very, very good programs. You know, obviously Final Four and Elite Eight runs from those type of teams. Uh, but it's hard even with like the, the COVID stuff. We'll deal with it for a couple more years. You don't know which programs are going to retain those guys. You know, we, we I think we'll be fortunate to retain a lot of our key guys through these uh, COVID years. But it's just so hard to know. Um and then you try to base it on the league, right? As to your point, you know, obviously sometimes the league's up, the league's down. Last year, Dartmouth was as good as anybody in the country. You know, obviously they got beat by Randolph Macon at the end. A lot of people did, um, you know, but those those guys were, I thought, as good as anybody. Uh, so it's really hard to tell. And, and now we have Westcon having a great year. That's a huge matchup for us coming up on Saturday. We're their only loss of the season. We were down eight with under two minutes left in our home game against those guys. Um, you know, we were able to come back and make some big shots and ultimately make, make more plays in overtime to win that game. But that's, that's our next opponent. You know, in, I'm not sure anyone would have guessed that we're having this, we'd have the type of season that we're having. Not sure anyone would have predicted Western season. And then, you know, conversely, some teams, as you mentioned, may not perform as well. So that balance is tough. Uh, but each, each year we're definitely going to try to play as good of a non-conference schedule as we possibly can. Sure. It just doesn't always work out the way that you hope with the formula, right? Yeah, no, that's the truth. Uh, talk to me about this team. Octavio uh, Brito leading the way, 22 points per contest, six rebounds on top of that. Uh, he's also number three on the team, number two on the team in assists, um, number two on the team in steals. Uh, Jeff Hunter is second on the team, 13 points, uh, or sorry, 13 rebounds and 18 points, 19 points. He's got that double-double going. He's uh, fourth on the team in assists, by the way, number one in blocks. Um, and then you got Mason Jean-Baptiste, uh, uh, who's also in there at 11 points per contest. Just those three are the ones that jump out when it comes to scoring. I know there's more than that. You go very deep on your bench, but tell me about that trio. Yeah, no, those three guys have been incredible for us all year. You know, obviously Jeff Hunter was a preseason D3 Hoops All-American. Uh, you know, he, he's a guy that you don't see a lot of at our level. You know, that, that the size, the athleticism, the fundamentals – you know, just an awesome player to watch play basketball and a, and a joy to coach. He's a tremendous leader, a great person. Uh, really lucky lucky to have him in our program. Uh, just impacts the game in so many ways. You know, smart. We're able to play him through fouls against the guy as dominant as Alex Sobel. Uh, you know, he's had some really terrific matchups this year. We also played Jared Houston, who's one of the better bigs in Division Three basketball. Um, so Jeff has just had an incredible year. He's taken a huge jump just in terms of his physicality and toughness this season true leader in our program and Octavia went from averaging 13 to 22 this year. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a true three level scorer. Um, and he's as good on defense as he is on offense. Um, you know, get good length, good athleticism, unselfish player. That those are, uh, that's definitely the thing that I would say about those guys is great statistics. Obviously they score, but they make the right play. They're both unselfish, you know, field goal percentages are through the roof. Both are really good. And then Mason's a great complimentary guy. One of the better two way guards in our league. 
you know, we put him on a guy, uh, you know, typically the best shooter on the other team, and obviously he's another double-digit score. You know, Nate Cl played through the roof in that Middlebury game and has consistently been incredible, including last night against Eastern. Uh, just had a terrific second semester. You know, we got some guys who really shoot it. Spencer Aronson's one of those. Jarek Seashot, our fifth-year senior, has been wonderful. Uh, we had a transfer from Nichols to Maine Dupree, who's been great. First-year guy, Mike Carruthers, point guard um, off the bench. That's been terrific for us. So we definitely have, you know, some really good depth that, to our roster as well. So we got some high-end guys, you know, two potential American-type players uh, with really good complementary pieces, guys that shoot it, point guard play, that's terrific. You know, guys that really dig in defensively. But uh, I think just by nature, our team has been very unselfish, and it definitely starts from the top down. What's it mean that this program's ranked top 10 consistently this season? The attention that it's getting on campus, off campus, et cetera? That's uh, huge. I mean, uh, you know, that, the, the, the rankings from that standpoint mean a lot. It helps with recruiting, and it definitely helps with crowds. I mean, over break, we have 1,000-plus people at the Emerson game with no students around. Uh, we have, you know, 1,000-plus people at the Western game with no students around. We have, you know, I think everybody saw it, a jammed, a jammed house for that Middlebury game. Yeah. Couldn't have better, been a better environment. Um, you know, the community has definitely rallied around it. You know, the, the support for our program has definitely increased. You know, it's just great to get that type of exposure. And I think we have some really good players that deserve that level of exposure. So uh, it's been awesome, you know, and, and I think our guys have lived up to that hype and not, you know, taken that ranking the wrong way and used it in a way where we know we're going to get everybody's best. We need yeah. to be at our best. And uh, you know, we've been overall pretty good with that so far this season. Another team that's having a really good season this year in the LEC, especially, is Western Connecticut. They're your opponents next. They have one loss in the season. It's you guys. It was in overtime. Uh, I.e., this season's far from over. <laughs> There's a lot still ahead. Western Connecticut is playing, is having a bonkers season. And I guess maybe that isn't the biggest surprise considering the fact that Guy Rancourt is their head coach and has certainly turned that program uh, into a bit of a behemoth after it kind of sat as a 500 team for a long period of time. What do you expect from from this one when it tips off on, on Saturday afternoon? Uh, you know, you talk about our depth. I think these guys are probably about as deep as any team in the country. You know, they have so much length, size, and athleticism, and they play a really unique style. You know, they're pretty much going to put pressure on you every single possession. You know, they'll trap you full court. They'll trap you in the half court. They'll trap you in the middle of the floor. Uh, doesn't really matter. They're just going to force your team to make decisions play after play uh, for 40 minutes. You know, in the last case was 45 for that overtime. Um, and they just have a lot of guys on offense that are really good rebounders, that are great playmakers. Uh, it's going to be a tough matchup. You know, they're just going to come at you for 40 minutes. It's going to be real high, high level Division three basketball. Uh, we're going to have to make good decisions against these guys. We're going to have to play really physical against a team that has that kind of depth and physicality and athleticism. Um, so should be an awesome Division three basketball game, true LEC-type game with the physicality and toughness that I expect to see on Saturday. Uh, after that, you'll have three more at home against Mass Dartmouth on the road against Castleton and finish up again uh, at home against Mass Boston. Um, Mass Boston also having a pretty darn good season this year, 13-7 and seven so far, 6-5 and five in conference play. It's been an interesting LEC, to say the least. I, I assume expectations are you guys can make the NCAA tournament, and I know at that point you want to make waves. You always have in the first weekend. We always see Keene State go, hey, look at that. They beat somebody you know, better than we thought they were. That's gone. You guys are going to come in to that NCAA tournament should you make it. Maybe is not a favorite. I, don't, I hate using that term, but you're going to be maybe hosting at home and expected to make at least the second weekend. That's a different perspective and a different atmosphere, is it not? 
Yeah, yeah, I'd say so, especially from, I'd say, the outside looking in. You know, you've mentioned the success over time that we've had. There's an expectation in our program that we're going to play our best basketball at the end of the year because we have, you know, a great group of guys that really drive our program and uh, establish good habits with our guys and set expectations that we're going to get better every day and be our best at the end of the season. Uh, but it definitely comes with uh, different expectations, knowing that there's the possibility to host. Um, and externally, people may be looking at us you know, to win that first weekend and get to that second weekend and see what that looks like. But, you know, on our end, it's really about playing our best. The difference between winning and losing these games is so small. You know, we've won, you know, whatever it is, six or seven NCAA tournament games over my time here. We've probably won them by a combined 10 games. So the margin of error winning and losing these games is so small. Um, you know, we'll, we'll go about our business the same way that we have. We won't let that external pressure feed into how we play um, in any way. You know, I think the ranking has been there for the majority of our season. I don't think that's impacted our process at all. And I don't think relative to the NCAA tournament, those expectations will have any impact on us. We know how hard it is to win, uh, but I expect us to be the best version of ourselves and play our best basketball and see where things go from there. All right, I appreciate the time and the insight that you've given us on the Owls. Certainly a tremendous team to watch and enjoy doing so. Uh, I'll try and even find some time to peek a look at that game as I'm uh, at my own on Saturday. As always, though, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuned in? No, just uh, thank you so much for everything you do, Dave. Really appreciate the support. You know, Thanks for uh, everything you do for the game of basketball. You mentioned all the publicity that we received through the rankings and everything else, and it's because of the work and the the team of people that you have do uh, to support and spread the good news about Division Three basketball. We appreciate everything. Thanks, as always, for having me on. Oh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for uh, being a little flexible with me tonight. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you down the road, sir. Oh, good. Sounds great, Dave. Thank you. Take care. Ryan Kane joining us on the Huddle Hoopsville Hotline. Again, big game coming up on Saturday against Western Connecticut, uh, who's having a darn good season under uh, Guy Rancourt. And uh, we'll see how they get past that one. But 21-0 overall, 12-0 in conference play. Not too shabby. We'll take another break. When we come back, we officially get the happy hour underway. I know the guys have been patient, and I appreciate that patience. We'll look forward to seeing the Snyder brothers, I believe, will be on. And we'll have a, a rousing discussion about wearing orange for a Calvin Hope battle. Uh, we'll probably hear from Bob Quillman and some other guys who will join us as well. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com. For the WBCA and ABC Studios, the happy hour of the marathon is next. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual, sexual assault. assault. 
Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. There are over 480,000 college athletes. Only 2% would go pro. That means over 470,000 will not get a shoe contract. No autographs. No private jets. No fan clubs. No Hall of Fame inductions. Instead, they will walk away with something much more valuable. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Coach of the Year, Administrator of the Year, All-America Team, Wade Trophy. The WBCA doesn't just honor coaches, but players, administrators, and much more. The WBCA strives to honor those who have contributed to the advancement of women's basketball. Celebrate the present, honor the past, look to the future. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important. But as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. It's on us. It's on all of us. And it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go into personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. And welcome back to the Hoopsville Marathon as we now officially enter the happy hour, which means if you want, you're welcome to go and grab a drink, but you don't have to. You're still welcome to do so nonetheless. You got questions for us? Tweet us at D3Hoopsville or our guests. Email us, hoopsville at d3sports.com. You can also join us on our 
YouTube and Facebook streams, facebook.com slash hoopsville and youtube.com slash d3hoopsville. And uh, we probably shouldn't waste any time. Just go right to it and have some fun. Uh, Right now we've got uh, an interesting mix up here. I might have to play referee as we have uh, Hope versus Calvin Calvin on the uh, hotline. Why am I getting double audio here? Bear with me. We'll figure it out, but my point is, uh, at the top, the Snyder boys and Scott Peterson down below. Uh, is literally, oh, look, the Calvin is literally being, oh, and there's the hope. Okay, well done, gentlemen. I'm a little disappointed, though, that though uh, orange is actually being worn by the Calvin guys. Sorry. Are you? I, I, mean, I can't really wear orange you? anymore on your show because you called me out. You threw me under the bus right before the hope I, game. I, I got to put up the orange away. I don't, I don't think, think I, I called, called you, you out. I believe I you were called out by others. You and Coach Saul called me out together, I think, and had a little fun at my expense. And so now yes. I just have to wear maroon. Just, I can't that was after it anymore. But that was after. It was, it was a Hoopsville shirt. It wasn't a Hope shirt. I do not own any Hope shirts. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, wrong for Zach, though, for taking Hope. Huh. That's right. Zach did pick Hope in that game. I had a couple points to work with, though. That, that's that's my defense. I never actually picked Hope to win outright. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. That's it. I'm trying to figure out why I can hear myself, which I hadn't all night until now. But I digress. I'll just deal with the echo. Hopefully it's not an echo for everybody else. Can't tell. I was trying to see. Anyway. Hey guys, thanks for joining me on the uh, marathon. We've had some good guests today, good conversations. I don't know if any of you tuned into them, but uh, that would have been yeoman's work if you tuned into all of them. Uh, we are turning into the final month of the season. Uh, first regional rankings will be out on Wednesday for women and Tuesday on men. Alphabetical, everybody. Uh, I know all of you, all three of you, have been doing way too much work for a month now trying to predict what rankings are and who's already in the tournament. Uh, Matt, I'm going to start with you. You're insane. Uh, that's all I got. You're insane. <laughs> I know I know. I start with the regional ranking stuff far earlier than you uh, are interested in having that conversation. Uh, but this time of the year, I have to remind myself to, to not just not pump the brakes on that kind of talk because I love it. But there's interesting conference races and things that are going on that are meaningful in and of themselves. It's not all about, you know, getting into the tournament, getting into pool C, being in the, in the regional ranking. So while I love that stuff, I also love just the nuts and bolts of conference season as well. And like you said, getting into the final 25% of the season here down the stretch, there's, there's a ton of great races in conferences that are going to get a ton of pool C bids and conferences that are going to get just the pool A and that's it. And I think those are interesting and important in and of themselves to watch as well. I just think it's crazy that you're doing it literally before we're halfway through conference play with yeah, data that my, is incomplete to say it's even remotely complete. Yeah, I think I put my first projected bracket out there in January, which is way earlier than it means anything. But um, I part of it, the reason why I do it so early, I think it's similar to why the committees do it so early, is because when you get to the end of the season, 
all the practice reps you've had get get a sense of where the geography falls and things like that and i know oh sure you know my practice my bracket reps. is always is always silly right and mine doesn't mean anything even on the final selection day um but it's still fun and it and it you know I, i'm thinking about it and i'm doing it on my own so i figure why not just put it out onto twitter.com as well and let other people see it <laughs> same absolute insanity that's all i gotta say but you've roped scott peterson into this sir um, I, I've noticed Scott is now putting out crazy stuff. Um, Scott, have you not learned anything from these guys? They're Calvin. Why would you follow along with anybody? anything Calvin is doing? I, <laughs> I guess a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> but All right, that's what no, I've slowly started argument. delving into the bracketing, and it is it is wild how many variables there are, right? Like I can... I feel like the committees give us enough data with regional rankings and pool C selections in the top 16 where you can have a really good idea for a given year how they have weighted those criteria behind the scenes, right? Mm -hmm. But when it comes to bracketing, I put, you know, I, I make a bracket and I like, I have no confidence that this is anywhere good, optimal. Whereas when I put a regional rankings, I can say, hey, this is using the weights that I saw the committee consistently use last year the implicit weights right and be pretty confident that you know if they don't change it it's going to be very close to this but when it comes to bracketing it's just kind of put your finger in there you know no it's true i mean we put a bracket together every single year and it's always been a little bit off of what they've done for good or bad reason i i don't i don't think there's uh sometimes it's just we had a different way of thinking about it than they did um it's you know there's nothing wrong with that. It just we just thought of it differently than they did, and so you get it a little bit different. Um, I noticed the one who is quietly sitting here and enjoying it because I think he's the one who's probably stirring the pot behind the scenes. Is uh, Zach? Um, you guys started this D three cast podcast, which admit I have not been able to watch nearly as much as I wanted to. But what was the mentality? Just you you just wanted to punish yourself the whole season. Yeah, well, we, we had such a good time uh, going to the Final Four in Fort Wayne last year. We thought, you know what, we, we could save all this money we spent on tickets by trying to become content creators and, and potentially get get right there, you know, sit at the table alongside, you know, you and the, and the D3hoops.com guys. So we figured the best way to, you know, save those $40 is to put in all this effort, create a YouTube show, you know, spend our Sunday nights doing the show. And then, uh, you know, Matt gets it edited, stays up till whatever, so that it's there for everyone to enjoy on Monday morning. Uh, Seems genuinely like a perfect curious. to me, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, genuinely curious, are you allowed to work on Sunday nights? I thought I thought there was a moratorium on that, uh, you, you, you Calvin alum. Well, if you do it past midnight, then it's, it's fine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. Okay, I'll give you that. Well Falls played. under well hobby played. and leisure. <laughs> <laughs> Even better point, sir. Even better point. Um, all right. So what have you guys enjoyed? Anybody can start this ahead of time. What have you enjoyed so far about this season? I mean, I love statistics. And I think from a statistics standpoint, the women's landscape this year has is going to ask some really interesting questions. And I think that's super fun. I mean... I was just musing today on Twitter that I'm really unconfident about some of the stuff I'm putting out because like the DeSales resume or the Williams resume or just 
resumes I feel like I didn't see last year at all. And so I don't know how they're going to be treated. I, I find that interesting. Well, that's a good, uh, good argument. Ryan Scott has now joined us, by the way. Great to have him on board. Uh, we were just, I don't know, Ryan, if you heard, but we were giving these Calvin and Hope guys a little bit of hard time about working on a Sunday. Um, I, I didn't think it was allowed, but apparently they, they've found a loophole. Um, I'll start with Zach. Zach, what, what have you enjoyed so far this season? Um, well, you know, parody has been one of the themes, and so it's, it's been really fun just to see kind of all these all these teams play out and in even at the beginning of the year where we thought, okay, well, maybe there's like five teams you can feel really good about. Well, looking back, maybe that that's not even not even the case. Um, so I thought non-conference play was a, was a lot of fun. We saw a lot of really good matchups there. And I've been, you know, like Matt earlier mentioned that there's still some really great conference races coming up. But, you know, I've been trying to not wish away the rest of the season here because I'm already itching for tournament time. Um, but part of that is just, you know, the tournament is – has been was really uh formational for me in just in deepening my love of division three basketball so that it's just always a special time for me um so i'm really excited to get back to there and starting to see some of those other cross regional games um as they get into elimination mode no that's definitely a lot of fun uh matt you yeah, as Zach just mentioned, the cross-regional games that we'll get to see in the tournament, I think that was a fun thing for me this year. We saw a lot of that, especially in November and December. I feel like this year there was as much or more um, top-notch cross-regional games kind of from the opening weekend right through kind of New Year's, uh, more than we had seen in past years, I think. And good teams, teams that will be on top of their regions when we start looking at regional rankings, they've already played each other. Um, a lot of times this year. And those are fun matchups we see in the tournament. And I think we did get to see a lot of those types of matchups this year um, already. And I think that was just a, a lot of fun so far this season. Ryan's been patiently quiet. He's been very nice to just listen. Uh, Ryan, uh, what's been so fun about this season from your perspective as we turn into the final month of the year? Well, I've been updating the scoreboard. That was giving me a chance to listen to these guys and get some of our, our <laughs> scores up. I don't know if Scott's had a chance to check yet, but Mary Harden Baylor did lose out in Solross tonight. The women did, so that's uh, it's going to be a tough one for them. They really needed that. Yeah, no, I, I mentioned. I think I mentioned it off air. Actually, I don't know if I mentioned it on air. Uh, yeah. I just noticed that myself that Mary Harden Baylor uh, has lost their second game since Morefield was let go into Solross, which uh, I think Scott was thrilled about because he thought it, it helps everybody else with some pool C uh, permutations. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you're a pool C hopeful, it helps you. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm sitting here refreshing the scoreboard because once that score goes live, I know it's in the uh, SOS stats and I can update that. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> disturbing, Scott. That's disturbing. Scott, it sounds like our Friday nights are very similar. The kind of things that we're interested in. Um, uh, yeah, I think you guys all need help. Um, you hope Calvin guys clearly have nothing else to do as Mike Raniak will now join us on the Hoopsville hotline here. Um, he, he can wear orange. It's okay. How many, yeah, no, he, how many screens are we going to get on this year? I don't know. Yeah. We're, we're, and we're challenging me to, to keep up. That's the best part. Um, the as, hold on, Raniak. I got to get you on there. You now you're on camera, sir. Now you're on camera. Thank you. I, it took me, fi- I'm sorry. I'm 15 minutes late. It took me 15 minutes to, to fit back into this shirt. It's all good. <laughs> I'm not even going to mention if I had any chance of fitting into any shirt uh, whatsoever. <laughs> Speaking of which, if you want a Hoopsville shirt, they are available. We have got our, our store back open. 
Uh, even got long sleeve shirts now, enticing some of you to maybe buy a new one. Uh, even one that says you can literally put in your school name and then it says Ports Hoopsville. Um, it, all the proceeds go to the show. I also want to thank those who have supported the show. Our uh, fundraiser has increased a little bit here. I got a $100 donation from someone named We Are D3. Yes, thank you, Let's Mike Radiac. And uh, an $18 donation via Venmo. Um, <laughs> someone I think is just trying to have some fun with my account and how much I have in it now. Um, so much appreciated, to say the least. Um, uh, Rainiac, we were talking about what's been so fun about this season. What, what's been so fun from your perspective as a, as a f- coach who yeah, yeah. used to have to go through it all? You know, I, I think, like, to be honest, uh, you know, like we talk about it all the time, like, you know, on D3 Datacast and, and Ryan talks about it, but there is so much – what makes it difficult from a stat and analytics perspective and bracketology and all that stuff um, makes it very difficult for us as voters, obviously. What has been from a fan perspective and watching, like anybody can beat anybody on anybody night. Like it's like really even more evident, I feel like this year, there is no clear cut, like we talked about the other night, like alpha in my opinion. Like, I think there is just so much parity going on, which is going to boil down to basically people that, you know, might think that their bid, their league might be two bid leagues or whatever. Like, to be honest, like, you got to get the AQ. You have to. Like, there is, like, so many teams that are going to be good that are going to be left on the table when it comes uh, uh, tournament time that you're going to be like, holy smokes, how did that team not make it in? Or how, you know, like, so from a fan perspective, it's awesome because the quality of play is good. The players are, are solid. But from a, a coach perspective, staff perspective, it's a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> so as evident by, like, our top 25, it's outside of the top four, or not top three, but everything shifts, like, every week. Like, it's like crazy town. But I think for me, like, that's been fun to kind of keep up to date with where, where are the premier matchups each and every night and what's kind of going on, which has been has been excited to kind of see those outcomes kind of play out. Yeah. Oh, good call, to say the least. Um, let's see here. Uh, um, what I think is fascinating is obviously we're seeing parity on the men's side, and we've talked about parity, and as you said, there's no alpha dog. On the women's side, I think that parity has grown deeper too. I think the WIAC and, and, and Tanya England certainly made this point very clear on the women's side. That is one of the more fascinating races right now because they are all playing well, and as a result, they're all beating each other, but they all have insane SOS numbers. You could have some behemoths coming out of the WIAC that don't look it on record but end up being really damn good teams. Oh, yeah, I definitely let that one up there for anybody. <laughs> I Now, I don't watch as much... Um, you know, women's basketball as I should, but that reminds me a lot. The WIAC on the women's side reminds me so much of the UAA on the men's side. Yeah. Like very, very similar, um, obviously high quality teams and they're just beating the snot out of each other night in and night out. Like I, I've kept track on the women's side of things. I haven't watched, like I said, as much as I should, but I mean, maybe some of the, some of you guys that watch more, is, is that a fair assumption that the WIAC on the women's side is more like the UAA on the men's? I, I'm not sure that they're at the same level, you know, like with 
the UA having everybody in the top hundred for the men, but it it does remind me of sort of maybe ten or fifteen years ago that we would see more often how even a lot of the conferences were. What we've seen maybe the last five or six years is you've got one or two teams that are sort of elevating above everybody else. And, you know, if they're if they're losing more than two conference games, it's kind of a surprise. And it wasn't always that way for a long time. You know, you'd expect four or five losses, even from the winner of a of a good D3 conference. And I think that's what we're seeing with the WIAC women is that every one of those teams is really good. And so there's not really a way to separate at the top. And maybe like Whitewater last year getting all the way to the championship game, they're not quite as good as they were last year. They're still going to be competitive and, and really, really strong, but a lot closer to the rest of their league. The well, lowest rated in the Massey ratings of the eight women's WAC teams is 64th. Yeah. Um, and so they are, and I mean, I haven't seen a whole lot of games of either of these teams, but I'm not sure there's a whole lot between Platteville and Laverne. I watched Laverne all night last night, right? And it just shows that if a team doesn't play a strong schedule, you just don't really know, you know? <laughs> not great. Um, I keep going back to that. Like, I don't know about DeSales. I don't know about, I mean, I think we know about Transylvania, but um, it's we know exactly what the WIAC teams are. Um, and I definitely wouldn't want to play them in one game. <laughs> Any of them, which is kind of crazy. No, yeah, absolutely. That's what's scary. That is absolutely what's scary about them is that any one of them can go on a run and a one-on-one matchup is just brutal. And God forbid you get them at their place. It's going to be even tougher um, because they're so, I mean, their fans are ravenous to say the least. Um, yeah. And, and, and speaking uh, of really good women's teams, um, I, I noticed the Calvin guys are not speaking um, because the Hope guy might be in attendance. Um, that's definitely where that domination continues but scott it's interesting because i think this is the first time we've seen hope women in a few years look beatable but at the same time not look beatable they've kind of gone through through some interesting runs this year they looked kind of like world beaters again early in the year and then took a few stumbles in the middle of the year and they've looked as good as i've seen them all year in these recent wins against trent and albion and i think they just kind of hope teams do seem to trend up over the course of a year under Morehouse. Um, I was commenting about this on the boards that last year in the middle of the season, they went through a really rough patch of free throw shooting, and then it just evaporated over the course of a couple weeks. And Morehouse said, hey, everyone was making a bunch of free throws every practice, and I think they didn't have the precision in the middle of the year, and I wonder if a lot of that has just been cleaned up. But I was also musing that defensively, hope is really aggressive, and yes. having Voskel for as long as they did just made everything work because she cleaned up anything you missed. And that doesn't happen this year. And it's not because the scheme's bad or the players are bad. It's just that Voskel was perhaps the most unique defensive player in the entire nation for a, a five-year period. No, you've and, got and a that was the Albion, the Albion loss, right, was that Albion just didn't make mistakes. They came in right. with a plan. They ran some very simple sets to get good looks down low and – you know, hope hope was just a little careless. It's it's not that they played poorly by anybody else's definition, but it wasn't the kind of, you know, performance that they typically put out. And and you saw that corrected the second time around. <laughs> yes, you did. It's, it's like a game of chess. Like Morehouse went yeah. to work. You know, he didn't. He wasn't great in that first one, probably, and he won that second one. 
and, and the team did as well. Well, my question <laughs> yeah. was whether there's going to be, you know, are we, we going to be voting for four MIAA women's teams in the in the poll this week with the way Al- I mean, Albion's got some really big wins on the on on the schedule. Now, they've got more losses than you like to see, but I mean, that's a that's a really strong team. I've been voting for three for a while, so I'll be fascinated to see how that turns out. Um, another crazy thing on the women's side is the NESCAC. Amherst is two and five in conference play. And I thought what I saw in Vegas was a decent team. I didn't think they were great, but I definitely thought they were decent. And the rest of that conference has gotten so darn good. I mean, Williams is sitting second. Trinity is having a, a, a tough, sorry, Tufts is second. Williams is third. And, and Trinity is having a, a crazy season. It's almost like the men. And what we've used to seeing on the men's side has migrated over to the women's side. By the men, by the way, the men's has gotten even crazier. But on the women's side, I mean, who thought Amherst would be two and five in conference action? It, it's the crazy. Last time Amherst hasn't been in the top twenty-five. Oh, it was Ryan a long time when that. they dropped out. I forget we we had yeah. it out the week that they like, were that they were out. Well, we we talked about it. Is GP gromecki has been there for how many years now? Fifteen. He'd never He's lost, like, lost three like five games in all of his career. Well, he'd never right. lost three conference games in a year before this. But yep. what we've talked about with Amherst is they've been on a nice edge for a couple of years now. Through COVID, you know, he's he's playing six players pretty much, you know, 99% of the minutes. And the, you can do that if you're that good like they have been, right. but it doesn't take much of a drop-off if you're only playing six players you know, to, to lose a couple of games, especially when they play the kind of schedule that they do. Amherst streak ended at 208 weeks in the top 25. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Considering like we a, average about 13 polls a season, well, preseason, so 15 polls a season, and they were in at 208 straight. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. You're right, Ryan. Like, like literally when you play that small of a roster, right, and then you encounter depth like the NESCAC has gotten on the women's side. Then all of a sudden, when the bodies are limited, you know, like that, that attrition is going to fall off at the end. Because I do believe they're a solid team. Yeah. They might not have been at the national caliber team like they, they, they have been. but to And I've watched them play a couple times. I watched the Williams game. But, you know, like I said, Williams is pretty darn good. You know, uh, the rest of the league, I think, is finally – Caught up, like I mean, Tufts has always been on a on a on a rampant tear. Like even um, before the new coach, like Baruby was there. Obviously, she, you know, she, I bet you she wishes she she was still maybe at Tufts maybe this year to get one last lick on Amherst. But you know, other than that, like uh, you know, the rest of the league has really kind of caught up. I, it, it's been very interesting to see because it's almost been not necessarily like a changing of the guard, but it feels like it. Well, you and know? the. The numbers guys will tell you if you're playing six players and one of them is only maybe eighty percent as good as that that slot last year, that can be a big swing, you know, like for yep. for just one player, which is which is normal for most teams, right? You know, you're you're only bringing back production eighty percent. That that's going to be considered a good year for most teams. But when you don't have a lot of margin of error, I mean, and what are we talking about, right? They're still a fantastic team. It's just yeah. in that league and and with what they've put up, it's it's. Uh, it's different. It's different, all right. Uh, to flip to the men's side on the NESCAC, uh, that race has been absolutely bonkers. Uh, Middlebury is certainly head and shoulders. Williams has maybe struggled more than we expected, or did we just miss in 
anticipate that or what? Um, I, I think that race has been hard to follow. Yeah, I think with Williams, you just don't know because they hadn't been tested like many of the other ones, right? I mean, that's been True. the discussion. Some of the top 25 talk, it's, uh, you know, you still had to kind of go on expectation with them just because of the schedule they played. Fair point. Yeah, when they lost to Amherst um, in early, I think it was early January, that was their first loss. We kind of said, oh, you know, no big deal. They're, they're still good. Um, and they are really, they're still really good, right? It's again, they're a really good team. Uh, but then losing kind of to Middlebury and then big to Tufts, mm. it feels like, well, where are the great wins for Middlebury? I mean, for Williams. And um, then, you know, how good are they, right? As Scott was saying, we think they're good, but where else are they tested on their schedule that we we know that they're top 25 worthy? Or I don't know how high were they? They were in the top five earlier in the season, weren't they? But, you know, it just doesn't seem like they're at that level with the results they've had uh, in January. Where you're looking at your first four games, and I and I understand because like coming from NESCAC, you know the later start, you know typically you know you get a couple warm up games, you know to kind of get your feet under you because you don't practice as longer long as the other teams. But Worcester State, Clark Summit, Del High, MCLA, not to put down those teams, but that's not getting ready for Wesleyan. You know Springfield's down this year. Um, that's normally a good battle. Um, I think Oneonta at Oneonta is a good win for them. Mm-hmm. Um, Anna Maria, mm, Vassar, I, I think has been kind of up and down after winning the Liberty League last year. And then all of a sudden, you got the rivalry game, like you said, with Amherst. And that's going to be, you know, I think all of us said, all right, that's the rivalry game. Okay. You know, kind of like Hope Calvin, you know, whatever. Um, but then. Middlebury, Tufts, those are ones that you thought that they would at least pull out one of them, if not both. Well, and not yeah, they've got, out by Tufts. Yeah. They've got tough road games ahead in conference, but if they win all of them, they'll be the second or third seed in the conference tournament and, you know, in perfect position to kind of be where we wanted or thought that they would be. They're certainly maybe not executing at the level that we expected from the talent they had coming back, but I mean, as long as they're taking care of business here the last two weekends, they should be okay. Yeah, and, and I think they're a, a team that's probably still flirting with that top 16 national rating when we see the committee stuff. Like, their 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 resume from a criteria perspective is still, I think, pretty close. They might need some regionally ranked wins in there. Um, well, yeah, I mean, they're they're at Trinity tomorrow and at Wesleyan on Saturday, and they win they'll those get a chance games. for those, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> they got to take two. Those, that's it right there. Yeah. Those two right there. Yeah, it just feels um, strange. It just feels strange for being, you know, the first week of February and for them to still be needing to have these results down the stretch to to validate what we thought of them earlier in the year. Ah, fair point. Uh, fair point. Um, it's not easy to be a top 25 voter, that's for sure. Um, but a lot again, we got regional rankings around the corner. We'll get to that in just a bit. I figured I'd uh, open the floor. We'll go around the horn, whatever you guys want to bring up, and then we can dive into rankings. We'll start with Scott. Uh, Scott, any topic you wanted to discuss? Not really. I kind of already <laughs> beat the horses dead with Matter, Bob, and DM. So <laughs> I don't know how much we. I'll go down some roads forever, but. <laughs> um, 
No, that's uh, no. I I appreciate that, Zach. Anything you thought you wanted to discuss tonight? I told Matt I was going to do it just like we do our show. I'm not going to prepare anything. I'm just going to show up. <laughs> well, I mean, if that works for you, sir, I have no problems with that. If it's if it if it because it's your system, it's how you operate. I'm not going to get in the way of that. Um. All right. Well, well, Matt, have you prepared? I was just thinking about some some great conference races on the men's side that we have down the stretch, and I was I was been looking through the standings the last couple of days, and like four conferences stuck out to me. Um, first is the American Rivers Conference. Right now, uh, I think there are four teams within a half game each other: Loris, Central, Dubuque, and Nebraska Wesleyan are all either eight and three or eight and four, and then Wartburg's. Uh, seven and four, just a game back of that. So I think there's like five teams in the American Rivers that are still in the race. That's going to be a great conference to watch down the stretch uh, with probably about five games, four or five games left in the, in the regular season, just with the conference tournament seating is going to look like in the American Rivers. Um, similarly, I think the Liberty League is kind of stacked up in that same way. Ithaca, Hobart, uh, Vassar, Skidmore, even RPI, I think is still very much in the mix there. That's like half the conference right there, I think is still in the mix for the conference regular season championship. Um, we all know about the UAA. They're beating each other up. Like Everyone, um, Emory, Wash U, Case, Rochester, Carnegie, Mellon, they're all either 5-2 and two or 4-3. and three. I think that's going to be a great conference to watch. Um, Friday, Sunday, uh, every there's much watched for me, especially Sunday afternoons. Um, and then the last one is the Skyline Conference with Farmingdale, Merchant Marine, Yeshiva, even Manhattanville and SUNY Maritime, all within kind of like a game or two of each other as we go in these final five games. So I think a lot of great conference races to watch down the stretch, and especially those few, and I think there's a few more like them, that uh, they're not just one or two teams at the top. It's not one team has already taken control, but it's anyone's game. Half the conference is still alive for that title with um, just just a, a few left. So those are going to be great races to watch. Mike might know for sure. Liberty still is just a four-team tournament, right? So that's Ooh, five wow. teams... That so one, there's only yeah. four spots. So <laughs> it's, that's it's tough. like, and and that's where it's going to really come down to it, especially because, um, like Vassar last year, if you remember, they hit that awesome buzzer beater. Yeah. yeah. To like, if that doesn't go in, then they don't win the Liberty League. Like that league last couple of years has experienced a lot of, you know, we talk about parity in other leagues, that league in particular too, whereas. Years prior, it used to be just Skidmore, and now there's there's some other Hobart's kind of now kind of reemerged, and and um, RPI obviously is doing well under Coach Gilbride, and and so that's gonna be that's gonna be big. But like you said, one team's gonna be left out of there, Ryan. But I mean, there's a scenario they could have a five way tie for first, and somebody's season is over. You know, like I mean, that's, <laughs> that's pretty crazy. That's wild. Wow. If there isn't an argument to maybe get the darn thing fixed to have more than four teams in, that would be the best. If I'm that fifth <laughs> team, I'd be like, come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. I mean, they've beaten up on each other. There's basically no pool C chance up there. That's what I was no. going to say is we talk about the pool C all the time, but there's a lot of really, really uh, the good guys pool above a you talk races. about it all the time. <laughs> there's a lot of a really good pool A races that we're going to see in these tournaments coming down the stretch. Yeah, that we just haven't been talking about a ton because it's maybe maybe um, conferences like the NCAC that might not be in position for a pool C where they used to be pretty regularly. That that it's going to be your whole tournament life for some teams that are used to maybe having that pool C catch, um, you know, second chance that they're not getting this year. 
No, good point. That's a great point. How about Oberlin, by the way, beating Worcester for the first time in 60 straight? Yeah. You know, Worcester program that finally got its 1800th overall victory because Oberlin pushed it off a game. <laughs> yeah. You know they circled that when hey listen if we get all this we can do it on the weekend against Obermillen. Let's uh let's let's bring all the alums in. Let's have a big celebration. Uh, it'll be a great time to oh shoot, send them home. Send them home. <laughs> we'll do it again on Wednesday. <laughs> and speaking well, of 60, that's the one I want to call out cuz Josh Merkel has told me they're using what I say as as bulletin board material at Randolph Macon. They won their 60th straight yeah. home game the other night. And they only won that game by 55 points. I feel like they 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 deserved a 60-point win for the 60th straight home game. And they just let us down. I don't know what was going on there. I, I'm with you. I was ready for the, uh, the, the nice round numbers to work out themselves right. there. How do you I mean, not know that as a coaching staff? Itself. Yeah, I, I don't know what they were thinking there. I mean, they, they were up like 52 with three minutes to go. They should have definitely pulled off there. the press. They should have been pressing yeah. with under 30 <laughs> seconds to go. Well, speaking of which, did you see the women's? Uh, oh, I have that tonight. Hold on, hold on. Let me put it on a screen. I saw that we, it. I was going hold, through. I wanted to bring that up. Now, hold on. I I got to get it onto a screen here so people can see it at home. Um, just zooming in here and got to put it over everybody. Bear with me here. Well, we're not going to be able to there. See. No. Oh, hold on. Then I just lost all your audio because I'm a stupid, stupid man. Let's do that again. There we are. It, it looks like they, yeah. they let the gas off quite a bit in the fourth quarter, too. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah, because they only won the eighth, fourth quarter 8-1 to one did St. Joseph's of Maine. They, hey, won they the played game everyone on the roster. Five. Nobody played 20 minutes, so I don't know what else you want to do there. So, um, No. 80-5. to five. You leave at halftime and go recruiting. That's what you want to do. <laughs> they might have. That's what you want to leave and do recruiting. Hey, you know, they also say at halftime, make sure you have a better second half. Dean did. They scored two in the first half, three in the second. There you go. So, you know. It's been a rough year for them. Zero assists in the game. Zero assists? I didn't even see that. Oh, yeah. They didn't even. Out-rebounded 45 to 16. They made two shots from the floor. It was was a rough go. They were one for six in the free throw line. Oof. That's that's tough. Two of thirty-three from the floor. While uh, St. Joe's Maine was twenty-nine of fifty-eight, eleven of twenty-two from beyond the arc. Oof. No, I'll often send my brothers a text from the halftime of a Hope Hope women's game where Hope's out <laughs> like twenty-nine to seven, and I'll say like, you know, this isn't this shouldn't be the basis for anyone's like resume or winning, <laughs> but like it is. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> yeah, uh, I noticed the uh, Calvin guys got real quiet there. Um, well, uh, I just looked it up. So St. Joseph scored a three to make it eight nothing, with eight forty two left in the first. So they, uh, so they won it. So with basically, basically left. they had the game won um, just barely a minute over uh, over a minute into the game. It reminds me of a great article written by a sports information director at Bryn Mawr. When Johns Hopkins destroyed them, and I think they scored two points in the opening half. And the SID wrote something to the effect of so-and-so's layup with whatever amount of time left in the in the first half um, ended Hopkins's run to start the game or something. Just brilliant to make it seem like it was just magnificent basket when in reality it was the only two points they scored the entire half. <laughs> it was just – I wanted to call the guy and go, sir – 
you deserve you, you deserve some award for that writing because you lost we, like 90 to 3 we had i will not i don't remember so i can't i can't out them but i i am one who goes through the submissions for team of the week which come with little narratives and uh, <laughs> i had one earlier this year in which um a player was uh recommended because their uh 25 point performance was critical to the 40 point team win that they had that night so that was uh, <laughs> the critical 25 critical because uh, uh, if they the had these are great they're good with the thesaurus SIDs yeah. are, are strong they're if, advocating we want them to do that i don't want to discourage people from nominating because we if need they more. hadn't gotten that 25 they would have been under the uh under the the line that was 16 and a half. <laughs> under the right. spread. Uh, that brings up a good point. Under the radar player of the year candidates. Oh, under the radar? Sir. Un- no. If they're under you. the radar, how would we know about them? <laughs> Correct. All right. All right. That's a good point. All right. So just straight up player of the year candidate. I think that's a great point. The bench, the bench. You know, I'm not really sure, Mike. I can't see them. (laughs) This is the radar right here. So I don't. (laughs) They come off the bench and play five minutes, but their points per game production are. Oh, outstanding. Definitely a player of the year. Uh, Well, one person is angling for um, St. Mary's uh, Anthony to be on that list. Yeah. I I saw that earlier on Twitter. I mean, it's always hard if they don't end up making the tournament yeah. to give that to a, a player there. But I would say, he, I, I mean, talent-wise, he's definitely right up there. Oh, Josiah sure. Johnson, yep. for sure. And I would say Alex Sobel is probably oh, yeah. the front runner at this point, just based on how critical he is to team success and how good that team is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. When I, I was there for the Tufts game, I believe, according to their stats, and I don't know how accurate it is, his usage rate was 48% in that win over Tufts. Or it's not a percentage, right? It's just a number, but 48 is an exceptionally high usage rate. So, uh, yeah. But who else besides those three? Like, I, I've, like, right? I mean, when it gets to player of the year, we don't generally have a super large backlog of candidates. And obviously, no. March plays a big mm. March a big does play in yeah. that. You know, I watched uh, what Emerson about, beat WPI his... the other night. Jared Houston is really, really good. Yep. Uh, he happens to play the same position as Alex Sobel, so it's going to be a tough mm-hmm. comparison there. But Well, what's what's his name at Randolph Macon? Mallory. Um, Miles Mallory. Mallory, thank yeah. you. Mallory. Mallory, maybe because, I mean, he was good last year, but he's definitely come into his own um, And he's season. not a huge stat sheet guy, so that's always – No. I, mean, I guess that's an under-the-radar definition, right, that we have mm-hmm. – <laughs> there you go. If they win well again. Played. Yeah, well played. <laughs> um, I was just looking at him. Uh, he's averaging 15 and a half. He's shooting 58% from the floor, 55% from beyond the arc, 70% from the line. And about three uh, blocks a game? Nine rebounds per contest, two and a half assists. His assist to turnover ratio is two and a half to one. Uh, three blocks per game and a steal. <laughs> That's actually a better stat line than he's used to having. That's that's pretty outstanding. Um, well, when you when you lose a Buzz Anthony, it sure helps to have a guy like that coming back, right? Yeah, right. right. Well, and his assist to turnover ratio—I mean, you can check me if I'm wrong, but I don't think it was great last year. So that would be an improvement if he's up at 
over two. Yeah, I'll double check. Um, it was two point four to one. Was this season last? Th- this this season. season. Yeah, I'll double check. Last season, I got to call it up. The old, I got to do it the old fashioned way here. Um, type in the the website and have it called up. Uh, there it is. Mallory, one point three to one. Yeah, so it's almost double this year. So that's that's a yeah. big key. He's averaging more blocks per game this season. He's averaging a better assist to turnover. Mainly, his turnovers are the same. His assists are significantly more. His rebounding is the same. His points are the same. His shooting is similar, except his three-point shooting is far better than it was last year, but they didn't need him to shoot last year. They didn't let him shoot last year. <laughs> well, true. And his free-throw <laughs> shooting is is improved this year, too. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I think he's in I think he's in the mix there. Sobel, I, I can't disagree with whatsoever. Um, he single-handedly beat Keene State there at the end. Well, and his improvement from freshman year when he couldn't, even stay on the floor with foul trouble. Um, yeah. True. You know, is just incredible because that's, I've said it a million times. I feel like I'm repeating myself over and over again, but it's just not a skill you learn. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, you don't learn to foul less. Like, <laughs> there may be some timid guys who can learn to foul a little bit more, but it doesn't usually work the other way. So, Tom, I'm trying to get you on more minutes, but you got to foul less. Yeah. Okay, coach, I'll work on that in the next practice. Right. Yeah, that's not exactly something you do work on. That's a good point. Hey, uh, listen, I had a great segment about Skyak today, uh, not only from um, Fred Rogan, who certainly loves him, himself some Skyak, and I appreciate that from him, but also from uh, Josh Angle, the senior guard at Claremont Mud Scripps. I, I thought, you know, I think there's a valid point out there. That there's a bunch of teams that could easily be in this NCAA conversation. That could certainly turn a bracket on its head if they all get in. Not only because they could do well, but because it's going to blow up the bracketing. I'm almost now rooting for three Skyaks to get in. To be completely honest, <laughs> the problem is they got to play through each other. But they've all worked on their scheduling. They've all worked on being better. They've all got great talent now. Um, you know, Fred Rogan's even uh, complimenting Eric Bridgeland, and, and trust me. That's saying something. I don't think Bridgeland's entrance was all that great into that conference. I don't. I think it burned a lot of people the wrong way. But you know that that program uh, th- that that conference has gotten. It was already gotten good. We all already turned our eyes on it, but it has gotten very good, and this season is certainly showing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that the CMS Pomona Pitzer game was just high level basketball when they played each other with the big crowd and um i i think they've only got room to grow there out out west just because i think the fan base is is potentially a lot bigger than it is right now um and those teams the sky's the limit on their recruiting just for the profile of those schools um you're going to be able to compete with anybody to to get into those places so um yeah nothing but up no, you're Getting right. Th- it's gonna be it, if three Skyaks were to make the tournament, I think that would be interesting for this year's bracket. We'd finally get like two Region Ten hosting sites, probably, and we'd get more teams flying into those areas. Something I think people from the West Coast have talked about. That they're they're always flying away from the West Coast, and teams are flying in. I think that would set up a, a situation where maybe we get a Southern California pod and we get a Texas pod, 
And that's really going to, like you said, shake up the bracket. Uh, we lost uh, Mike Raniak, by the way. Um, he just says thanks for uh, having him on. Um, he had a bounce, he had to deal something with work. Um, well, you'll at least have one hosting. You know, unfortunately, you may have another Skyak on the other side of that pod. You then have to fly two in and fly a th- fly the third Skyak out to anywhere you want to. By the way, uh, some people get stuck in the in the rut of oh that we always play each other, i.e. Northwest Texas and Skyak. No, I thought last year proved that's not true. You can yeah. fly anybody anywhere if the if well, the bracket. I mean, works part out. of that is it helps them minimize the possibility of flights for the second weekend if you put all of your flight teams in the same place. Then you're true. you're not worried about next one. Although I still think. Being in Fort Wayne gives them a lot more leeway. You know, last year they only had to fly one team. No, because the, the Final Four is not considered part of the equation. I've asked that a hundred times. The Final Four flights they never consider as part of how many flights they get for the tournament because they don't want decisions based on the absolute full wild cards that could happen to the Final Four. So I remember when it was in Salem, I said, are we being punished because you might potentially have three flights? They're like, no, they're never part of the well, equation. But does that work? So if they they're not worried about including those, but they still might be more willing to give an extra one if they're spending less money on the not platform. not what I've gathered because remember it was what two years ago we got absolutely locked down on flights for some reason and we couldn't get what I know the committee didn't get what they wanted at least in the opening round or the opening weekend and yeah. I think that was part of that equation was come on you're going to probably end up busting everybody to Fort Wayne and they're like it's not a matter of the it's not a factor they. The conversation's based on, I don't get it either. I agree with you. You think maybe it'd be part of that conversation? I, I think it's because by that point, anything could have happened that you couldn't foresee. And so they just, right. they leave it out of the mix. I just know um, they definitely don't want four teams flying the second weekend when it could have been two. And that's, No, that's true. Absolutely. And that's part of the, the issue they run into. Because if you have three Southern California teams, they're going to fly one to Texas. I mean, that's just how well, it works. And you I know, think that's like, what we got to watch. That's what we got to watch out. Yeah, and I think that's what we got to watch for on the women's side with Trinity hosting, yeah. is because they are technically so far out of that mix. Um, yeah, and I mean, the Skyac and the Northwest Conference winners have to fly on the women's side, right. and you're you're gonna probably have at least two, maybe three teams in Texas, and you're gonna put four of those four or five teams in the same. For opening weekend pod because no other teams can get to Texas without a flight. So you're adding flights to do that. Well, and especially if it's so San Antonio, I, sometimes you can get some driving to Dallas, but right, if it's right. a Trinity, you're, you're definitely out for anybody driving there who isn't in Texas already. Well, and to be honest, remember and, and that, last year, the second weekend, we all got surprised by how many flights the women had. And it felt like something slipped through. Like they didn't foresee something that they should have foreseen. And I know the committee was a little coy about that. I think they knew they get, they got away with it. Nine times out of ten, when uh, when a committee gets away with it one year, there's a lockdown the next. <laughs> so I'll be very interested to see what happens this next this year with that bracket. It I think that they can get away with two opening weekend flights, just Sky mm-hmm. and Northwest Conference on the women's side. Oh, hold on, just lost. Uh connection guys hold on a second let me see if i can get it back uh we have you guys they're all here we just lost them on the uh on the broadcast which meant our ndi hates us so bear with me as i just reset the system 
Uh, gotta love technology. Uh, we'll try it one more time, see if it jumps back for us. There they are. They're back. Gentlemen, hopefully the audio came back. We'll find that. Nope, lost them again. You know what, we'll take a break. That's probably a good sign. We'll, we'll come up with Scott's point when we come back from break. We'll take a quick break, come back with the rest of the happy hour after this. These are your teams, your players, your community of fans. This is where they play, where they practice, where you cheer. At every meet, every event, every game. Your community is passionate, dedicated, supportive. You know the tension of a close game and the thrill of the win. So while you're cheering, keep an eye out for anything out of the ordinary. If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities. used to never really talk, ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go on a personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. Coach of the Year, Administrator of the Year, All-America Team, Wade Trophy. The WBCA doesn't just honor coaches, but players, administrators, and much more. The WBCA strives to honor those who have contributed to the advancement of women's basketball. Celebrate the present, honor the past, look to the future. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. It's on us. It's on all of us. 
and it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go on a personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. And welcome back. We're just uh, jerry-rigging the audio so we can enjoy the rest of this uh, happy hour, as it were. Uh, Scott, we were talking about uh, bracketing and stuff with the women's side. Yeah, so with Mary Harden-Baylor kind of fading, it might just be two teams from Texas. I was thinking uh, that ASC might get a second uh, a pool C in there. But as it stands, it might be pretty simple for the committee to put Trinity, Harden-Simmons, the Skyac winner, and the Northwest Conference winner in the same pod. Those are your only two opening round flights, I think. Um, it does mean that if Emory gets a pool C or somehow the UAA pool A, they kind of have to go to Transylvania because I don't think you're going to give a host to Washington and Lee. And that's kind of it for geography in the opening weekend. There's nothing else super weird that you have to finagle. I do think that the bulk of the top overall seeds are from the east, but you're kind of going to have to put them all on the same side. Because well, on the other side, you're, you're going to have Trinity, you're going to have Wisconsin, you're going to have kind of your Midwest, and you need them to be able to get to Chicago, basically. Well, and that'll give us a clue on how much leeway the committee is going to get, because there's no chance the women's committee wants to send, like, Puget Sound to Trinity, where they've already been this year, and exactly. have a potential Harden-Simmons third matchup, third non-conference matchup with Trinity in the same season. They're just right. not going to want to do that, and if we see that, like that's going to really tell us that their hands are tied because they're just not going to choose to do that um, for all of those reasons. And they try and almost harder than the men to avoid rematches. So um, that would that would definitely. If Harden Simmons wins out, they they are a hosting type resume, right? Yeah. So that would give us another clue, Ryan. If they don't get it, I mean, they would never host geographically but they could be given a pod where they look like the number one seed. It just happens to be like in a Wisconsin school. Or like at Emory. They like Atlanta because it's easy to get flights in there at true. the last minute for all of these teams. So they won't tell you that, but that's definitely true. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Fred Rogan made a comment that we all know is not true to the fact of, um, you know, will it save money or cost money depending on how many teams you pick from a certain location? We know that that's not how they operate. No. Um, but I thought it, I wasn't going to correct him on air. Well, that wasn't worth doing. Um, 
But no, to your point, Ryan, obviously big airports play a role. Where can they get people in? And we should also point out, and this was said, I don't think this has been said on air, but I know it's been made clear to me. If you don't put in your hosting papers or you put them only in for the first weekend and suddenly the second weekend you're in play, tough luck. You're not hosting. Well, that's essentially in the handbook criteria. Your location, your accommodations. I don't know if it's specifically flights and airport, but that's they say they kind of consider that sort of thing for hosting. I know they like to do seating. We know geography is a big deal, but you know, can you host this many people is is a uh, is part of the discussion. Absolutely. Sure. And the paperwork thing is we've we've known in past years where they have called a school and said, "You sure you don't want to host that weekend? You sh- you know, hey, you're in line. You you want to get that paperwork updated?" Season or two ago, that ended, and it's on no uncertain terms. I've been told, listen, unless we have no hosts of the four schools, we're not asking for hosts. And Although I, I think, do, I do wonder if they're calling maybe like the day before paperwork deadline. Well, the day before paperwork is when we saying, debut the uh, top sixteen. <laughs> we so haven't seen your get a hint. Seen your application yet? Yeah. 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 yeah, it's one thing one thing to do it ahead of a deadline, another thing to be doing it a week later. Yeah, right. Um, so listen, top 16's come out. You see your name on there, maybe, I don't know. Put your paperwork in. You got, you well, got 24 hours. Well, that's the other question. We've kind of been penciling in St. Thomas, Texas for the men. And I know that's a relatively small athletic department. I don't, yep. I mean, I'm sure their capacity is big enough, but whether they you know, new to D3, all that kind of stuff, whether that's something they want to take on um, early in this process or not. So we, we don't know. It sounds like, though, that they've had some guidance from conference members. Uh, yeah. And I'm sure they'll be helped along that process. Like, hey, you guys want to host. Here's what you have to do. So I'm, I'm sure they won't just miss the, uh, miss the opportunity. Well, let's hope not. We had, was it last year that we had one in Texas that just didn't apply, right? So, yes. That's what we were, I think, led to understand. Yep. Yeah. We were told that one of them yeah. didn't put in. Because everyone was like, what, what's going on? There's an example. They didn't call them and say, you're actually in play, position. You forgot to put your paperwork in. You want to put it in? And we've had other situations where schools have said, listen, we can't host that second weekend because X, Y, Z. Then they qualify and they call, well, hey, we figured it out. <laughs> Too late. Yeah. And we know geography can get really goofy that second weekend. Even if you're not one of those top 16 teams, if you – think you might be in the tournament and you might like to host put your paperwork in and you might be the only team within 500 miles and you might be the hosting destination christopher newport women everyone thought was going to be the second weekend but a a small mistake in the bracketing literally move one pod versus another and they can't host somebody else in that group had to it was tufts right men did that go to tufts well and i I can't remember. I feel like, didn't we have one committee chair tell us one year that if none of the four sectional put into host, they might consider a, a like a neutral place? <laughs> I think so. I've been told by committee chairs at that point they would call. Yeah. Well, if geography made it easier to do a neutral place, they might think about it. Maybe. But, it's just usually more expensive. Yeah. Um, the other one, I'll never I'd forget. I'd love to get that call. They're like, I know your team lost last week. But how would you like to host four more? <laughs> oh. Hey, coach, I got a question for you. <laughs> what are you doing I next weekend? For... <laughs> I have I, uh... a question for a bracketologist. Yeah. Oh, can I jump in? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
I had a question for two of our bracketologists, and they both told me no. Um, but we know that selections are not made with geography in mind, but bracketing and seating is. And so my question was, let's say, hypothetically, Rochester women are this kind of a weak one seed hosting line. But boy, would it help overall flights if they don't host so that the Rochester men can host. Would the committees ever chat together to make it? And it seems like that would not happen. But the only thing seems I've like heard of could. I have not heard of them requesting stuff like that. And to, to just solidify things, the women try, at least in the past, have tried much harder than the men to give two hosts to every region as much as possible. Now, obviously, with 10 now, that's impossible. But if if they're like... Well, I think with the top 16s, they're stepping away from it too now. Right. But the women are still more inclined to try and keep at least somebody in a region. Mm-hmm. Is there another upstate New York team that would be more in line for that? Because I think that's nope. more what you're looking at, is that if they're the best team in sort of the general area, they well, may get that. I'll add one other wrinkle. History is going to be in play. If you don't have a good hosting history, you aren't hosting. And I know of at least one school where that has come up. I'm going to leave it unnamed. But if there were issues, you're not going to host. And that can affect even more things than what you're talking about. So now you've got other teams that have this that can't host plus the one you're trying to play with to make sure that you know it gets even more complicated i think the one scenario i can think of was when randolph macon women and men were both in position to host i think it was randolph macon men it was when uh jeff burns was actually on the committee chair and the two committees didn't talk to each other after the women changed their mind yeah and men ended up not hosting and I'm glad I was nowhere near Jeff Burns in that moment. Yeah. Because he lost Cause it. The, the women told the men's committee that they were going to host. And so the men didn't include them as a host. And then the women changed their mind later. And then they didn't host either one. So yep. that was a fun time. Oh, yeah. But I would say that falls under the category of the women may have a logical host and change their mind for some reason. So to your point... Yeah. Well, Scott, I think sure. they're communicating a lot more now than... They oh, but yes, they're communicating. Yeah, that's a, a yeah. separate point. I'm just trying to think of an, a scenario I know where a hosting scenario was set up and then they changed their mind on it for whatever yeah, reason. Yeah, but while they, while they may be bracketing to minimize flights, I've never heard anything that they're trying to minimize flights as like a combined exercise between the two brackets, yeah, which I no. think really, Scott, is, is well, the first of your question. No. And if... Right. If the last couple years hold, the men usually finish their bracket first anyway. Yes. So, um, so that, that was my other because the men are men are, bra- are released first. I didn't know how the how the order goes. Right. They, There's yeah. no timeline except it's got to be done at night. But the men always go first when it's announced. So it's got to be done and buttoned up in the morning first. And the women have a little bit more lead time. We found out to... in the last couple years that the the they'll usually figure the hosts out. Oh, yeah. Because you're going to know your geographic okay. problems early, and so you kind of figure out who the hosts are, and they'll let them know. Um, and especially so if, if the women have top pri- 16, priority, they'll, they'll shoot over the hosts. I'm yeah. sure they mostly know yeah. by at least Saturday night who's going to be hosting for it, and they can share that information. And they seem, uh, Sarah and Megan particularly, 
this year seem like they are in touch and will be. Well, the liaisons are in touch. Spot. The chairs are in touch. Other people, yeah, they're compared to that snafu. The yeah. levels of communication between, and I, I would argue that snafu kind of finally opened some doors that weren't Let's, quite as learned. open. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, women will have priority first weekend. Men will have priority second weekend. Um, and that right now, I only have Christopher Newport off the top of my head where that would impact. Right? He's saying maybe Rochester, maybe Rochester, maybe yeah. Washu, and maybe Oshkosh. They're all in the mix. Okay, Oshkosh, yeah, I could see that. I don't think Rochester is going to be in that situation by the time we get there. I can I, see that, right? Because th- yeah. they still have some UAA games left. Right. But, yeah. Well, and it's... what. All uh, and on the men's side, to be honest with you, I think Oswego, well... Well, and it's really tough for Christopher Newport in this situation because... The men have the rights to host second weekend, but geography rarely allows that. Um, but that's where that argument yeah. on the women's side last year was. If they had literally swapped two very identical pods in the right. bracket. They would have been able to host. CNU would have been hosting. And, and, it, and it wouldn't have changed competitive balance. It wouldn't have changed right. really outcomes. It, it, there, nothing would have been altered that dramatically. It, it was two different pods. I think it might have even been Tufts. Uh, pod with one somewhere, I want to say somewhere in either New Jersey or, or yeah. Pennsylvania somewhere. They just swapped those Christopher Newport's hosting. And that's where you almost hope. And this is why I get a little frustrated that com- that committee members can't be involved in this if their team is involved if, I wish they could be involved in areas that have nothing to do with their team. Let that committee person look at half the bracket that has nothing to do with their half and make sure they can see something, hey, you might want to, or three-quarters of the bracket, whatever. You might want to fix this because this will allow this to happen. Because when you start getting down to less and less and less people, one year the women had two working on the entire bracket out of eight, it's problematic. For sure. Christopher Newport women are going to have that same problem this year because Smith, Babson, Trinity, uh, Tufts, they can't get to Newport. And yeah, so but you got teams. Most of the teams that are good, most of the teams that are available can get to all, all of those other ones. But they would have had the first weekend. They will have, the, they should, they should have the first weekend. Right. So they'll but at least have the first weekend. Are, the screw job yeah. last year was that they got shipped to Hopkins for the first weekend and then one simple right. change in the bracket kept them from getting what they deserved in the second weekend after they got passed over in the first for good reason. I think that's what that frustration was about. But I understand. I mean, they're obviously in a spot that makes it tough. I agree. Um, though I think the men have a better chance. It, it results in tough matchups. You've got Randolph-Macon sitting down there. You're going to have maybe Hampton-Sydney. You're going to have maybe um, Guilford. You may have a USA South or an Emory. Um, well, it just depends on which quadrant they can put in. Right, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Is it all depends, and it's going to depend on tough matchups. But I think Christopher Newport might have a better chance at it on the men's side than the women's, because the women's isn't as strong in that region as the men's is. And I'm talking generic, geographic regions. Yeah. Not. I mean, actual. we won't really be. I, it's way too early. The reason I haven't been chiming in on all of these Twitter right bracketing is it's just way, way too early. Right? To be worrying about it's not all too it. early. Oh, it's been too it's early. It's the perfect time. It's always the perfect time no, for this. I no. think it's the right time to talk about who could be hosting. 
To okay. talk about who's flying where is, is ridiculous. Mock brackets <laughs> from Poppers three weeks ago, and then he's asking about mileage. It. Dude. Coming. That's, but you practice early, so that way when we're at the end, practice. we know all these things. We know all these things. That's, it isn't, we're just we don't need to see your mess. Hashtag D3 Hoops on Twitter. Well, yeah, because you want to have the best possible mock bracket. That yeah, doesn't count for anything. It's got to be a great end, right? mock bracket. My mock bracket was really close last year to the actual bracket in a couple of regions, and that was because I practiced. <laughs> but in a couple of others, it wasn't. So it was you know, way whatever. off. In a couple others, it was way off. I guess 300 batting average is good for you. Yep. Uh, we'll probably not going too much longer with happy hour here because I am definitely fading. I don't know about everybody else. Yeah, I have to say good night, guys. What? It's unacceptable. I'm the one who cuts this all off. <laughs> um, hey, good to see you. Thanks for joining, Zach. Pretty, pretty much appreciate it. And uh, enjoy the rest of the season, bud. You too. Thanks, Dave. Thanks. Uh, yeah, we won't go too much longer here. I was actually just checking Twitter to see if there was any more conversations. Um, Pat, by the way, sent out that uh, Dean versus St. Joseph's main game and said, sometimes there are mismatches. <laughs> Saying it lightly. Um, I feel like we've seen a lot fewer of those over the last few years. Yeah. And the women's side, as things have gained more, more parity. Uh, yeah, um, I think better scheduling too. Rough year, so. Yes, I think particular teams have have some trouble with some matchups, well, but yeah. And Dean's continued to play because we've had a number of schools that just decided it wasn't worth putting teams out on the floor, mm -hmm. and we might have seen a few more of these if that they had insisted on continuing to play sure. those games. So. Good point. And that's a big decision for a. Uh, I mean, a lot a lot of these conference bylaws have some pretty stiff penalties for doing that sort of thing. Um, I mean, it could be two or three grand a game that you're giving up by not putting a team out on the floor. Now, Bryn Mawr women, I know a few years ago, really frustrated that conference. They, what, two seasons in a row, maybe three, where they backed out of playing at least a double round robin set. One, I think it was a full season. The other two, I think, were, hey, we'll just play you each once. And, of course, they let them know two weeks before the start of the season. Um... Of course, they just backed out of a game against Haverford last night, which begs the question, why? And I'll be interested to find out why, because if that's more of the same, I think there's got to be a serious conversation. Unfortunately, Bryn Mawr was improving. Um, just I, haven't been able to keep that I asked Matt about that game, and he educated me on what rises to the level of an NCAA cancellation and how that affects the underlying criteria calculations. <laughs> you asked Ryan? No, I asked Matt. Oh. Well. So we were probably the only two people to go to the Bryn Mawr NCAA women's basketball team page last night. But... So it goes down as a no contest. It didn't get played. Right. Yeah. It's a forfeit in right. the Just... conference's book for paperwork. Right. By so, the way, like, my data was one game off for Carlton compared to the D the D three hoops data, and then I dug into it and I was like, oh, that was actually a cancellation right. against St. Catherine, like early in the year. I so, bumped like, into a game yeah. talking to somebody today where there's a game in their schedule from last year is one nothing, and I realized, oh shoot, that shouldn't have gone into our system as a one nothing game. Well, we've also got some. William P seems to be putting all of their women's games in as one nothing in our system that we have yeah. to fix. Um, they just canceled their season 
Yeah. It's a forfeit. It, uh. This is why Pat spends all the time auditing all of these things. Mm -hmm. I had and a, when we yeah. have the regional rankings come out, we can compare right. and make sure that we've got everything yep. put in in the right way. And we're relying on all of these other guys to tell us where we've messed up. So, How much will you guys be hitting F5 on your keyboards on Tuesday and Wednesday? <laughs> you know, I've forgotten what time they get released they don't have a time it's just whenever it gets posted well, it gets posted and whenever the other it, part of it is when it gets posted because last year we were getting we were gleaning information of when they were done and it was like four hours later that the turner put them up on the website so so the yeah, first so problem is submit they gotta turner. be done yeah yeah the second problem is the liaison has to send it that has been problematic on a few occasions i won't go into it then the third one is the Atlanta has to go, oh, I have an email. Maybe I should update the website. And that third one has been a biggest problem for Division III. Um, I even had a, uh, someone, I don't think it was Liaison, I think it was a committee chair, say to me once, they said, yep, we warned Atlanta it was coming. We told them it would be expected, blah, blah, blah. They said, sure, we'll be all ready for it. We had to call them three times. <laughs> go, guys. It is sitting there. Please update the website. It is 4.30. It has been there since 2. So, yeah. Well, and we used to have some good back doors that we could finagle the right. URLs and find our way in, but they fixed that problem. So, Unfortunately. Wish they hadn't spotted it. There used to be a couple of nice yeah, I was uh, doing that. gateways. I was doing that all year, trying to get the women's handbook, just changing the men's URL. Yeah, no, that wasn't the problem. So I got told that basically the they found some errors in the in handbook and they went to fix them. Um, actually, it ended up being out two weeks sooner than I expected it. Um, but one other thing I've discussed is the fact that a lot of these handbooks, half the language is the same for every single sport. Why they're not the same handbook for every single sport is mind-blowing to me. But Well, in some of the same things i noticed the record book this year that there was a few errors they had that i corrected for them last year that got reverted back to pre-corrections for this season so i've got a pretty good relationship with with scott who is our d3 men's basketball stats guy yeah so i try to give him a break but uh yeah i mean it is i don't blame you sir um I thought I found two errors in the women's handbook, but no, that was just being correct. There's one. There's one. Megan hopes you blocks. didn't. I think it's the career blocks that there's a guy who transferred halfway through, and he's he's like, he's like 27th for his first two years, and then he's like second for his whole career, but he's on the he's on the list twice because he transferred in the middle, and it, it went from like William to Bill or something like that, and they just didn't recognize that it was the same guy. I mean, I get it, but so, still, you can't use na name as a primary key. Right? He's he's in the, yeah, he's in the the career records twice, which is pretty impressive. I mean, that's he, a hell of a career. And his first two years were worth getting in the top twenty-five. I was so good that I got in the book twice for the same stat. Well, and we had the one before last year because of COVID. Um, Buzz Anthony set the record for games played. But the guy they had in there had played an imp literally impossible number of games. <laughs> and I don't know where the mistake was. 
because I don't get to see the back end of what they were doing. But Are we like, sure he played in 355 <laughs> games? I mean, I think Russ has 135 maybe now, but the record was like 133 before that. You know, he's got the 12 extra games from the COVID year. So, like, yeah, oh, it was... Oh, I see. Yeah. So he was able to break the record, but, like, the one before it was impossible. Like, you couldn't have played as many games as they had him. I've done the math. <laughs> Max amount of games he could have played in was this. There's and since he never played in the NCAA tournament, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's awesome. It reminds me there were a couple years where my older brother would go through the MIAA play-by-play box scores and assemble a dunks leaderboard. <laughs> <laughs> if it showed up as a dunk in the play-by-play, so he had like you know 13 for some some guy. That comes that down to whether the SID likes to put that extra detail into the system. I Exactly. It seems like a ton of work. I feel like I did a lot of work today figuring out how many active players have beaten Randolph Macon today, but that was the... Oh, well, that's <laughs> a heck of a stat. So there's 20, if anyone cares. <laughs> Only 20 active players have beaten Randolph Macon. Well, have played in the game because I only went by the box scores. I didn't look Good, at all the Good, because if you're going to give anybody on the bench credit, we need to talk. Yeah, it was really cool. So there's eight guys for Mary Washington this year. There are eight guys on Christopher Newport's team last year. There are three guys still at Guilford from three years ago. And then uh, uh, Visconti from Swarthmore mm-hmm. from four years ago. And so, yeah, there's only 20 active players who have beaten Randolph Macon. And only three were from the ODAC, right? Right. And only yeah. three in the ODAC. That's the most amazing part. And that's one of the reasons I switched my vote over back to Randolph Macon this week and was they're getting through that conference without losing. And Trey Barber did it on two different teams. He was on the Mary Washington <laughs> team that beat them, and then he transferred to Christopher Newport yeah. and beat them again. Yeah. So. That's outstanding. He's going to get asked to transfer to whoever's in the NCAA tournament. I think he's done transferring. No, I know. I think he's out of years. Could you imagine getting that call? Hey, Trey, listen. Got any eligibility left? We'd love to have you. Just for tomorrow. We're on a quarter system, so I think we can make it work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that would be great. Oh, that'd be great. Is there a rule about this? Like, say you're, you're... quarter ends i believe there is oh, it's a semester rule right even if yes. you have trimesters or whatever like there's a date okay yeah i think there's a, there is something about a date but compliance would know better than i so we get the board of trustees to change our semester <laughs> like overnight yeah, there'll like be a presser in the morning we have announced that we've gone to the quarter system at the end of the season We've decided the quarter system wasn't working for us. <laughs> You're watching too much West Wing or Suits. Uh, just throw out an amendment or uh, change the bylaws. Right. Yeah, well played. I'm all about loopholes. Loopholes are the best way to... Get a call from Josh Merkel. Do you know how Trey Barber got on their team? <laughs> well, let me tell you. Ryan spilled it out on the happy hour and someone took him up on it. That is going to be an interesting. So, Macon has um, Averett, and then they finish up on senior night with Roanoke. Um, if they win both those games, that's tied with North Park for the longest home winning streak in 
53 men's basketball history. So that would mean their first round NCAA game could break the record. That's crazy. Or if they end up going on the road, the next class has all the pressure to keep it going. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I was looking back at it today to think about it. So that game they lost to Swarthmore in the Elite Eight in mm-hmm. March of 2019 is the last time they lost an NCAA tournament game. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And they have one title. Yeah. Hope's the same way, isn't it? Three under, um, three undefeated seasons and one yeah, yeah. one title. I mean, it would be a similar thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. The idea for a, a segment, Dave, is you just pull someone off the street and have them try to pronounce all of the school names. <laughs> I don't even know if Averitt is correct. Averitt is right. right? It is right. Doing this long enough? I believe that's correct. It's Averitt. And we can tell Riley that it should be Bowden. And not yeah, I didn't want to correct that either. Right, right. You can't do it on the air. No. He said it, and I don't know if you could see it, but you could, in, in my head, I went, oh. Yeah. oh. <laughs> it's not pow. I figured it was Kane, but I don't, I don't think I had heard it pronounced for a while. It is Kane. There's no the only way I, I know half these for, for, uh, pronunciations is from watching, you know, Hoopsville for <laughs> a decade and a half and having Dave struggle through it. <laughs> it's Buena Vista. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, even though there's a Buena Vista get, in many places. I don't even get, I get Hassan wrong most of the time because of that one, the year that you didn't do, the year before you started doing the bracket show, and they kept calling, they called it Houston like I seven times. I forgot about that. <laughs> so oh I always, God, in my head, yes. I keep calling it Houston every time I see it. Because, oh, I totally I mean, forgot the they called him Houston. And there's always, um, he must have said it seven times introducing what had to have been the lowest seed in that pod and he just he just kept saying Houston 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 over and over again uh and then there's uh Mullenberg that's well, always that's a tough one no, I would have gotten on. that one wrong I would have gotten whatever Vista wrong I don't even want to venture which one well they're just wrong about that I mean that is not how you say that but what Buna. Buna oh, yeah, I agree. Buna. I used to call them Vista or BV. Yeah. Um, I mean, Worcester always throws people. Both Worcesters throw them off. Sure. Uh, what are the other ones that are always... Well, Amherst, because they always want to pu- drive the H. Do people get Puget, Puget wrong? Or is that well-known enough? I, I Puget. People get Puget sound, yeah. Because from Washington, people would make fun of, you know, Puyallup and Spokane and Yakima a lot of those Native American names. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they're always second nature to me. What was... Well, there's, Am- there's Amherst. Like, love to drive the H. And Swarthmore, there's no... You don't say the R. Right, you don't... Yeah, everyone wonders why you're, you don't say the R. It's not Swarthmore. Swarthmore and Amherst. Um, I feel like some of these are, are a mistake and that we know otherwise, so we never say them wrong. So I can't think of any others off the top of my head. But there's a whole mess. Well, I just love that we all say the Wyack, and most of them say Weak. No, for, most for of them don't, reason. actually. Well, they used to. There's I mean, only a couple that say Weak, And it's the dumbest it thing I've be, ever heard in my life. It used to be much more prevalent. Yeah. It's an I. When did it become an E? Yeah. I think it's Wyack for sure. Yeah. It's Myak. It's it's Wyack. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Does Dubuque trip anyone up? No. Nah. nah. Sawani? Is Dewani? it Odin? I always have to think about Sawani. You do? It's Houghton. Yeah. Houghton, I have to think about. Lycoming? Lycoming. Well, that, Lycoming. you can't tell with the accent what it's really supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> I've always been told <laughs> as if you're c- like Merville, coming right? to their place. Lycoming. Lycoming. But uh, that's, a great, that's a great point. <laughs> Oswego, I've heard said differently. We got Merville. Yeah, Merle. That's just a re- that's just a regional thing, though, right? Right. Yeah. Well, but it's like Buvo. Like, Louis. how do you say it? Or mm-hmm. New Orleans? Yeah. Oswego, I've heard is Oswego, and uh, Oswego. No, I can't even say it wrong. R- Rainiac says it different. I'm meaning to check it's with Beloit, him how he says Beloit it. and not Belois. <laughs> Which one? Ooh. Beloit. I'm gonna Beloit. start calling Belois. <laughs> <laughs> we should. That'd be funny. Start a new trend. Oh, we're gonna go talk to Belois. So I grew up in I grew up in northern Vermont, right? So we moved to Colorado when I was in high school, and I had never seen a Target before. And it was right like mid '90s when everyone thought it was cool to call it Target. Target. And that was the only thing anyone ever. Said. And so I went like three years assuming that was how you said the name <laughs> of the store. I had never seen one before. That is brilliant. That's absolutely be- brilliant. Uh, Kyuka. I bet people say Kyuka wrong. What's the other one? Um, what is the correct pronunciation? Is it two syllables? It's Kyuka. Kyuka. But I think people would try and lean on that you more sure you got by the way people love to say my alma mater weird they call it uh, goocher we just anyway the name list now is that what we're doing yeah yeah I, I can totally see the three of you going through school names I am not for the record I didn't I didn't pull up a list mm-hmm that's I not what your eyes are telling me. I didn't pull up a lid. <laughs> Whatever makes you feel better. Because there was that one evening where on Twitter we just all kept coming up with themed groups. <laughs> yes. Of school names, like boys' first names and ha- ones with ham in there. Or all the Marys. Yep. And the Mounts. Yep. What's... Which I forever have a script to convert back and forth between Massey and other systems for abbreviating Mount or not, or Saint or not. Yeah. There's like six ways everybody thinks to do it. Well, and there's some schools that are very definitive that they don't want their Saint or Mount abbreviated. So. Yep. By the way, completely random. Mayor Hart and Baylor is so Ross. It is 35-24, five minutes into the second half. That's a barn burner. Sounds about right. Well, they're very cold there, so. <laughs> they are today. It's you the were only, right. It's the only ASC game that didn't get postponed. Oh, is because it? Because they're used to being cold. They're used to being cold in yep. Solaros. So, so I moved them all already. They don't say postponed on the board anymore. It's all on Monday now, 
So they kept all the Saturday. Yeah, they all they all scheduled. they all moved to Monday. I swear there was another school I was thinking of, pronunciation-wise, out in the Midwest somewhere, but I'm not remembering. Centenary? Monmouth? Centenary? That's not who I'm thinking of. I still don't know how to say centenary. Centenary? Centenary? Yeah, centenary. At all of them. You say centenary the same way at all of them. All right. I'm guessing the most common guess would be Norbert and not Norbert. Yes. Not get really really French with it. Saint Norbert. Yes, you must say it with your teeth clenched. Now there's an, there's another one. I can't imagine Grinnell gets said wrong. Gustavus Adolphus. Come on. Oh yeah. Gustavus Adolphus is probably said wrong. Augustana, Augustana. Probably said wrong. No, I definitely thought it was Grinnell for a long time until really? I heard somebody okay. say it. Yeah. What about Chatham? Is that, is that how you say it? Did I just say yeah, it right? Yeah, Chatham. Chatham. Teal? Teal, Teal. that one gets said wrong. <laughs> uh, LaRoche. So I was driving home from a baseball game listening to MLB radio, and it was a Pittsburgh game. And they went to do a commercial because apparently they were the sponsor of some either the pitching change or something. And the guy says, this pitching change brought to you by LaRoche. And I'm like, oh, my God, he got it wrong. And they go into the commercial. I'm like, oh, my God, they're all set. Or maybe I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it dawned on me because he said it three or four times before the commercial break. I'm like, wow, this broadcaster should know the school in his own area. This is kind of surprising that he's got the sponsor's name wrong. And then they hit the commercial break. and I went, oh, my God, I've been saying this wrong the entire time. I had always said LaRoche. LaRoche. And it's LaRoche. There are a couple baseball players with the last LaRoche. name La LaRoche as well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it just didn't dawn on me. Didn't put two and two together. So, learned my lesson on the drive home. Thank you. Yep. Glad I was listening to a random I'm baseball game. I'm slowly learning D3 history. But like, I didn't know that John Jay was a school of criminal justice or oh, yeah. the mm -hmm. setup for CDMS and Pomona Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. That's why the, uh, John Jay's got the Bloodhounds as their uh, mascot. Makes sense now. Uh, that book, I don't have it near me. Shoot. I'm not sure where it is, but I've got the same book Gordon has that has all the mascots and their histories behind it. Though, interesting enough, I think someone pointed out that the Washu Bears aren't in it or something. Hmm. Somebody's missed. Like, completely skipped over. <laughs> Was it during a period where they didn't have sports? Or? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> font Bon? Font Bon. That's probably one that people mess up. And I don't even know if it's Principia or Principia. I have no idea. Which Principia, one? Principia, right? Say that Princi one again. Princi the, the Principia. Oh, Principia. That's a good question. Principia. I don't know why I said it that way. Now I mean, you got me second guess. Principia, but I don't think that's no. Princip. We don't. We don't use all the Latin pronunciations. Right? Principia. Now I'm even second guess. This shows you how long this show's been on the air now. I totally have no recollection. 
Not only do you not know how to pronounce it, you don't know what you think you should be saying. Right. No, I'm done. I'm out. I can't even get it right. Yeah, nope. Not going to try. Forget it. I've checked out of that one. Does that mean it's closing time? I think it might be closing time. Yeah. We'll uh, wrap it up with final thoughts Top from you 10 guys. hours here, so. Yeah, no, I, I just looked down and went, oh, Lord. Um, so we'll wrap it up with final thoughts. Scott, we'll, we'll start with you. See, I, I try to prepare, but I always forget that you always you always go final thoughts. I, ne- I never have anything. I, I'm just going to preach restraint when Wednesday arrives that there is Tuesday. only a small amount that we can get from these alphabetical rankings. No, you're right. I absolutely agree with you. Just take them in stride. Just don't don't overreact. <laughs> it's the same people who shouldn't overreact when the rankings suddenly change the next week out. Matt Snyder. You're gonna see. Oh, go ahead, Scott. You're gonna see some teams like like Albertus Magnus or Berea or UC Santa Cruz on the women's side that I think will be pretty quickly gone once we hit week two. You know, just because we're we're doing slightly different things week one to week two. Yep. So we'll see. How fans take it. <laughs> I agree. Matt. Um, yeah, when, when, Wednesday, when Tuesday or Wednesday comes and we click on the regional rankings, I'm going to think that it's in the wrong order, and then I'm going to forget that it's alphabetical. It's going to happen. <laughs> but this is a fun time of the year. We get all these conference championships. Uh, we get all the regional rankings and stuff. And, uh, you know, it's it, it's been fun doing the show with you guys. Uh, the, part of what I really like about Division Three is the Division Three community it's really accessible we all we all talk online on social media we get to watch the shows we get to talk about division three um, and and this is the type of the time of the year when the community comes out because everyone wants to know who's going to make the tournament who's going to win the championships and so it's just the fun interaction is what i enjoy that's why i appreciate all of you here i've interacted with online and now on zoom and on shows and thank you for that and it's just very enjoyable well thank you bud for joining us certainly appreciate it ryan scott your final thoughts um, I would agree. This is the time of year I like because I get to start seeing more people and meeting more people, and I love helping people out. I mean, the weekend at Middlebury was meeting all these parents who are now at Middlebury very interested in how the playoffs work and the rankings work and uh, answered a lot of questions. So it's good. And pro tip, when the rankings do come out, if you don't know why your team isn't there, you can scroll down to the bottom of the rankings, and there are links that will take you to PDFs that have all of the information for all of the teams um, right in there. Well, I'll say most the of the information. Region. <laughs> well, the one, yes, the, the basic information that they use, yes. the primary criteria are all there. And so you can, you can check them out. Probably not the first week, I guess, or will they have the stuff without the RRO record? Yeah, I think it usually just says zero and zero or something like that because it's the RRO is usually lag a week anyway so they'll have the they'll have the sheet that just won't have the ROs in right it. first yeah. week we won't have it's a good way to look at teams and compare them yeah yeah and by the way good one everybody reminding me is of complaining yeah good another name that everybody reminded me of Salisbury that's not Salisbury yeah Salisbury yeah well, too many people say Salisbury I digress. But, guys, thanks for coming on the happy hour. I certainly appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your uh, week. What would you say, Ryan? That they really like the steaks. No, no. Salisbury. No. No. (laughs) You're bad. 
You're on that shore too. You're on that side Across of the uh, campus. The northernmost cookout. My favorite terrible fast food restaurant that Matt has probably never heard of. Oh man, go to Salisbury. Go to cookout. I've heard of cookout. There's one right just, outside of Macon too. It's a other. Yep. I'm just surprised that you think so highly of them. Burger joint with fantastic milkshakes. <laughs> well, it's terrible. No, you gotta food, get made and right I'm getting too old to eat it, but that's true. They're fantastic. Anyway, guys, thanks so we've much. We definitely digressed beyond. Yes, we have. That's a sign we definitely need to go. And they don't. They're not paying. They're not paying Dave to promote them, so I should no. probably stop talking. No free ads. No free ads. No free ads. <laughs> guys, it was great to have you. Thanks for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. <clears throat>
We will have, we're already working on guests. We've got about three or four already booked up and ready to go. And then next Thursday, we'll be on the air at one o'clock due to some work I have in the evening. So that will happen. Um, and then I know I've lost track, but don't forget coming up on the 16th of February, we'll have the top 16s announcement here on Hoopsville, the exclusive for that announcement. So look out for that coming up, as I mentioned again, on the 16th. That will be from the committee chairs. We'll get both committee chairs on the show about that. We'll have a panel to break down those decisions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now we'll wrap up with the ninth annual D3, uh, ninth annual Hoopsville Classic, thanks to D3Hoops.com, the Women's Basketball Coaches Association, National Coaches, National Association of Basketball Coaches. Of course, also Huddle Blue Frame Technology for their support and all of you who have donated to the program. Certainly appreciate it. We'll continue with our donation drive um, for much of the rest of the regular season here hopefully we may raise the goal even higher if we can get going with it uh thank you all though for contributing so far to this evening we certainly appreciate it and we'll look forward to being back on the air that's going to do it for us you've been listening to hoops hope presented by d3hoops.com from the wbca and abc studios guests have appeared on the huddle hoopsville hotline and if you want to talk division three basketball you've got to listen to hoopsville so make sure you let your friends know all about the show and have them come back here or watch the archives or listen to the podcast at some point down the road a lot of fun stuff ahead of us we've got regional rankings to come we've got the top 16s to announce we're going to have our selection sunday special and the brackets will be out all in the next three and a half weeks it is accelerated fast and here we are good time of year to be a d3 basketball fan thanks for tuning in everybody we will catch you later take care and we'll catch you on monday